Welcome, true believers and newcomers alike. Spider-Man co-creator Stan Lee here, welcoming you to the Infinity Rewatch podcast. I've never been on a podcast before. I lied. I've been on several. And I also lied. I'm not Stan Lee. I'm Andrew Fantasia. What's up, everybody? Uh, <laughs> guess who I'm with? It's Jack Kirby. Quick, do a Jack Kirby impression. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't know. I, was really hoping... I, I, don't, I automatically, I automatically want to default to a Stan Lee voice. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd pull a Wayne's World Delaware thing and be like, "I am Jack Kirby." Jack Kirby. <laughs> oh yeah, there was there was a moment in my head where that played out, and that that's what happened. Um, but yeah, actually, it's funny because I don't, I've never heard Jack Kirby speak, so I don't, I don't know. Same. Yeah, I think he died young. I think he died before like he ever was like popular as the big guy for people to come around interviewing him i guess oh man the stories around even because like you you got me that stan lee book but the stories around jack kirby i tell you the man's life is a mystery there is no solid dates on anything like (laughs) like like i don't know i i can't remember how long jack kirby lived for but i think i think he lived long enough to see his fame good i'm pretty sure uh oh wait hold on i don't i don't want to get this wrong so i'm gonna look this up he died in 1994 oh okay yeah so i would say i would say he definitely lived to see his fame grow i don't think he lived to see the peak of his fame but he definitely lived to see the, the fame grow okay that's good i'm glad he at least lived long enough to see his you know see the the garden start to to blossom yeah and i mean like uh i mean the other interesting thing about jack kirby i will say is that uh that the jack the king kirby uh he was such a talented artist that apparently he just like this is what i heard so you know fans correct me if i'm wrong and don't forget as always guys to like follow and subscribe to the rebel scum podcast network and you know you can listen to more of this and comment along. But Jack the King Kirby apparently he would leave his like front door open, and like artists would come over and he would like he would just like teach them stuff as he would draw because he was just constantly drawing. That's what he would. Do. I feel like when you're an old man, that's going to be you, and you're just going to teach people about comics. Like you'll have like a sign on your door, you'd be like, "You want to know who Watu is? Come on in, and I'll tell you." Let me show you all the media representation of a Watu. <laughs> uh yeah no it's uh yeah i mean oh so good um but yeah i I mean that's that's an awesome little shout out there and again we were talking about it just before the podcast but you do a stellar stan lee voice it's just so uh the voice his voice legacy will live on through you oh thank you very much All right, so uh, actually, the way I was thinking about this intro is just like pure silence, and then like, what the ban? Oh, beautiful! Because today we are talking about Spider-Man: Homecoming. We are now. I don't think you've said your name yet. We've just been calling you Jack Kirby, but here on Infinity Rewatch, you are the co-host. I am. I am the co-host, Ryan J. Whitehead. Ah, you're damn right, you are. Uh, yeah. Welcome everybody. Welcome. And now this is exciting. This is an exciting episode. Uh, I'm sure for the both of us here. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, Ryan, I always, since the day I met you, have associated you with Spider-Man. 
Oh, bless you. Yeah. There's, I, I think we, we, on that first day when we met, we talked about a great deal of things. Uh, it was just like an avalanche of, of like, do you like this? Do you like that? <laughs> and like one of those questions yeah. was, do you like Spider-Man? And um, your, I remember your face lighting up at the mention of Spider-Man. And I remember you telling me a story. And I want you to reiterate the details of this story for me about how you played Spider-Man on stage once. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Whew. Man, you got a good memory. I just remember nerd nerdgasming with you at that time just like <laughs> like just having uh having a good old time just us being like oh my god it's like just if you if i could go back to that simpsons moment where millhouse meets his like replicated version of himself in shelbyville and then they realize how much they have in common <laughs> <laughs> and he's like this is what it's like when chubs cry that's that that was fantasia and i after uh after being dropped off after you being dropped off at the school with your mom. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so the story goes, the story goes is I played, uh, I played Spider-Man um, in a musical theater, uh, in a musical theater show where. Before everyone, Bono did it, by the way. Before Bono did it. Yeah. And before, before there was a, a musical about Spider-Man that barely lived fast. That's the Bono one. <laughs> <laughs> Even Bono couldn't save the Spider-Man musical. Nope, yeah. it was it was pretty brutal. Uh, <laughs> so uh, in this musical theater, everyone had like a personality. So mine was literally Spider-Man, and so the they, the running gag was is that I would I would like what Tom Holland would do in his audition. I would literally try my best to flip roll or make it look like a really cool action hero-y superhero pose into every scene that I'm in. And that's how I played Spider-Man. Oh, beautiful. That's, and, and mm -hmm. I remember you said something like you, you guys did the play for younger kids cause you were in high school and you, you performed it for like younger kids. And like after when the curtain call was happening, I remember you saying that the kids were like enthralled and they were like, bye Spider-Man. Like they were really into it. Man, you have a killer memory. <laughs> um, yeah, so so the funny thing about the show, guys, is like this was like my first. I think this was like my first real like acting gig. Like this was like my first real acting gig in high school that I was like actually cast to be in a show. Um, or no, it was it was my it was my first where I had like a lead role, like a principal role. Uh, I, my first one, I was like a really side character in a play, and I had like like less than three lines. Um, and this one, I, I had a lead role, but what happened was, was like, it was a very, it was a very engaging show with the kids and we had to go to different elementary schools to do these shows. Um, and so I was sitting in the crowd with these, these two probably really bullyish kids, bully, bullyish kids. And which is funny because I, I was not a popular kid in elementary school. So I did not get along with the bullies, let's just say. Um, and so I was sitting with them. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. I'm going to relive my elementary school life. And they're like, they looked at me and they're like, what show are you going to do for us? And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a uh, magical show. And were they, were they and like first... 1950s greasers? And they're like, hey, buddy, you're going to do a show for us or what? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. So I get up and, and and our show starts with us saying the word magic in a really fun way, just going like magic, magic. 
And then long story short, yes, after the curtain dropped, kids were all freaking out. And then we had to run to the door as they were leaving so they could all get high fives. And I saw all the kids would run up to me and try to get a high five because I was (laughs) Spider-Man. And as I left, which was really funny and slightly depressing at the same time, and also just really introspective. But like, as I was leaving, we were getting, we all had to like cram into this clown car essentially. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go off to our next school and the as i was leaving though the kids were all running up to the fence and like reaching out to get another high five for me oh yeah. my god you were like the beatles <laughs> yeah yeah i had my i had my uh 30 seconds of fame <laughs> but you know what this means now right that they'll grow up remembering that they met spider-man well it definitely means that too but <laughs> it, it also means that according to the internet you're going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming 3. What? <laughs> I, I, you know, okay, at the time of this recording, guys, I will tell you, I am one that I like to think I keep my pulse on the finger of Marvel, you know, like, or yeah, my finger on the pulse of Marvel. And I'm like, I'm just really trying to keep track of like what's going on. But man, the rumors around Spider-Man 3 are just out of control at this point. Like, I can't even tell what's real and what's not real. Everybody's in it. You're in it. Baby Yoda's in it. Oprah's in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Steve Ditko's in it. I don't know. Oh, they're all in it. It's it's crazy. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's unreal the amount of announcements that are in it. And I know Sony's trying to like run really quickly to get to the Sinister Six. So this is where like part of these rumors are true. And I remember even seeing like a new rumor of Spider-Man that just 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 was announced that it was sent to my email. And I'm still hesitant about like what if it's real or not. <laughs> okay. Um it's it's oh it's crazy. Hold on, let me quickly look at Michael up. Myers uh... and Jason Voorhees confirmed for Spider-Man Homecoming 3. <laughs> might as well yeah freddy krueger won't be there till the fourth one though they don't want to go you know save some for the sequel oh yeah actually this is a pretty big one okay so i'm actually going to read a little bit more on it but the headline is that the rumor uh the rumor they figured out or the rumor that's been discussed right now is that sony pictures and marvel studios uh have rumored to extend their deal with spider-man Ooh, I like this. Now, uh, just so people know, we're recording this like shortly before Christmas 2020. Um, yeah. So by the time you're listening to this, it might be a whole other ballgame. I remember hearing a rumor like around Halloween time that by the end of November 2020, they were going to say what the title of the movie was. And that never panned out. So I feel like yep. that title announcement is coming any day now. Mm hmm uh yeah i mean it could come literally i bet you any money it's going to come out tomorrow and after after us doing this amazing podcast episode on the whole thing it will come out tomorrow just to just to smite us uh but okay this rumor comes from a a a show called the diz the diz insider show and uh and yeah the diz insider show they said the rumor of the week segment is uh about this extended deal and I don't want to get my hopes up. I mean, for me, I was happy enough to get one more one more film of Spider-Man and another group film, and that would be it for him. And I, I would have been content with that because I would have been upset if they only did the two movies and then dropped after. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I've said this many times on the show and I will keep saying it till I go to my grave. Um, you don't have to stop at trilogies. And I was so happy that Thor didn't stop with the trilogy. And I think with yep. the right franchise and the right character and the right stories behind it, don't stop at a trilogy, baby. And I think Spider-Man is definitely, you know, he fits into that category. Like from the sounds of things, we're not getting Craven in this movie, possibly. So, you know, save Craven for part four. Why not? Why not? And and that could be why the, the rumor is extended or the rumor of them extending the contract could be true. I mean, why not? I mean, Craven's got a, a huge story arc with Spider-Man on his own. So uh, with Craven's last hunt, and that's not uh, one you want to rush that story. You want to make sure it's nice and spread out. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. So that being said, um, yeah, today we're doing Spider-Man. Uh, I got I got Fantasia here, and this is this is an exciting film. And I really think, and I've I know we mentioned it on previous podcasts. Um, there was a missed opportunity here because. And I think it's solely because marketing had to make sure, like Sony had to make sure they get their marketing in for this character. But if if they kept it a secret, and then only when you go see Civil War that that you discover that Spider-Man was going to be in the movie, only by watching the movie, mm-hmm. then the shock factor of that whole experience the shock factor of that whole experience is just so crazy. And now at this point of the film being recorded, um, we are getting a Spider-Man movie. So we know that Marvel and Sony are working together and we're getting a Spider-Man film that, that has the Marvel creative team and the support of Sony, which is awesome. And I'm okay with that. I mean, yes, would it be awesome if Marvel had Spider-Man? Of course it would. But at the same time, you know, as long as Marvel's allowed to use the character, then they then Sony can do no wrong. It's really a win-win for everybody. Like, And I don't know how the contract works. I know there's a lot of controversy with this contract and the way the deal works. My understanding was Marvel provides the creative team. Sony does a bit of the production. Um, and, and there are some other parts of that, but, oh, and then, and then Disney, because in the end, it's like, um, in the end, it's part of the, like Spider-Man's in these Marvel films that Disney's making more money. So I don't know how that works. To be honest with you, the breakdown is really confusing for me, but to be fair, Sony can't do any wrong. Like they, they just can't. And, and, and ever since Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, like, They've definitely learned a lot by the looks of things from working with the Marvel team. But at the same time, their solo films still haven't quite standed on their own as well as, you know, Tom Holland, Spider-Man working with Marvel Studios, in my opinion. No, I, I think that uh, that also encompasses my opinion, too. I, yeah, I don't I don't get the financial minutia of this deal. I'm just in a place where I can just clasp my hands together in prayer and be thankful that it exists. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. It, like imagine, imagine an alternate reality where this movie didn't happen. Ooh, that's a sad reality. Um, I, <laughs> I like the idea of the alternate reality where that trailer was different because you're right. That trailer 
given away Spider-Man in Civil War, um, there's another world out there where we sat in that theater and peed ourselves when Spider-Man showed up. Um, and, you know, ruined pants or no, I would love to live in that world for a moment and just see what that feels like. Uh, I I mean, yeah, I would love to live in that world just to get a snapshot of that moment in the theater. <sighs> Because that would have lived amongst the other moments. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to discredit the presence that that Tom Holland and Spider-Man brings in those movies. Like, he crushed it either way. I just feel like the surprise would have just elevated it so much more. And, and yeah, so for me, um, the performance was still great. But, yeah, like, mm, just... Had they not surprised us with that. But it was nice to see that they were saying, like, okay, now we have... Spider-Man in the MCU and guess what he's going to have his own movies that will use MCU characters and that's amazing oh hell yes and it connects so well I mean right off our on our first scene what do we got we got the aftermath of the Chitauri attack on New York and everybody's Mm. like oh damn what a mess they made this sucks who's going to clean it up and some construction guys because that's what they would do in real life they're like hey we got a contract from the city we'll go clean it up and then damage control is just a bunch of assholes and they're like nah nah uh, we got this. And they, it doesn't even look like they compensate Tombs as workers. Like Tombs rented trucks. They did all this. And damage control is just like, nope, we're, we're taking control of this. And no compensation mm-hmm. or care is given to the construction workers. And I'm like, you know what? I understand why you'd become the vulture at this point. Yeah. Oh, man, the vulture. What a choice. Oh, Out of all the characters. And, and it's funny because the only moment I had when I heard the vulture was in it. I like the the first thought I had was like, man, are they gonna do like how are they gonna do the vulture <laughs> and modernize it? And and this is the theme I really want to talk about: modernizing Spider-Man. This movie has the the way Marvel and Sony has brought this character into the modern world from like comics. Uh, from the comics specifically uh because like this spider-man we've looked at is like a 60s character like this is a 60s character um now this particular spider-man is roughly based around the spectacular spider-man series Mm -hmm. um so it's a bit more 90s ish but uh but the way they modernize these characters into a world that we relate to brilliant and so the vulture in the comics is like this world war ii vet um who has like this this uh who has technology and like planes and stuff and he's just like a really crafty thief and that's it's, that's essentially the vulture in a nutshell um and i loved right out of the gate he's this like construction worker uh who gets who gets uh gets knocked out by the competition and he's already considered like the old way of doing things you know what i mean and now there's a new way and it's oh man and of all actors to cast, Michael Keaton. <laughs> Good lord! Did I ever tell you who my my dream vulture casting was years before this movie? No, I don't think he did. Terry O'Quinn, the guy. Terry O'Quinn. He's the guy from who? Lost who played John Locke. Oh yes. Okay, I know exactly. You know, and if it's one memory of our friendship, I definitely remember is is the 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 ever ever popular TV show Lost because you guys were so hooked on the mystery of that show. Oh, but I was that was a beautiful obsession. That was I loved spending four years just 
thinking of nothing but lost that was a wonderful way to spend my time i loved it uh and then i got you hooked mm. on it afterwards uh, oh you did yeah i did, did. Yeah. in fact i i held out as promised mm. and i still haven't seen the last season oh wow you're, yeah. you're like stuck on the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers then i know I, I i all i know is it's super disappointing <laughs> it's super disappointing depending who you ask it's not disappointing oh, okay. in a game of thrones sense where it was like what did they do it's it's disappointing because a lot of people didn't get it so they they yeah. thought it was something that it wasn't and they're like oh that's mm-hmm. stupid but they they didn't there's a key scene that explains what happens. And a lot of people I feel didn't listen to that scene. They didn't pay attention. And then those are the people who hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's for lost cast. That's our, that's our other podcast where we talk about how cool. Lost <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, he was, Terry O'Quinn was my choice for Vulture. Uh, Vulture is such a, a, a fascinating pick here because like he is one of the primary members of Spider-Man's rogues gallery. Like he's not a, He's not a B-list Spider-Man villain. He he is one of the Rogues Gallery, but he is the one I think that I forget about the most. Like if you, if yeah. you were to ask me, hey Andrew, here's a pen and paper, write down all of Spider-Man's enemies and go. I would I think nine times out of ten, maybe even ten out of ten times, I would forget the vulture. And then somebody'd be like, Oh, you missed Vulture. He's just Yeah. He's you know, despite the fact that he's the only one who can fly, he is literally under the radar. Um, I don't know what it is about the character, but then along comes this movie. And what I love is they didn't waste no time with the vulture. We see him before we see the opening title. That's true. That's actually quite accurate. Yes. He's, he's the opening character of the entire movie. And not just uh, well, tombs, but like him in the suit too. Yeah. That uh, another great point, man. Um, and, and so, yeah, vulture is a weird character and, I thought they were going to go with someone really old for the for the role because like again like I'm fi- I'm trying to avoid it but I kept thinking of Vulture from the comics. Mm-hmm. And there's been some good ad- uh good cartoon adaptations of Vulture. In fact, in in the the 90s cartoon, uh I love that they used the anti-aging tech and then that he would like go from young to old. So I thought that might play a play a factor in it yeah that was his whole thing that i remember too and wasn't he mixed up in that tablet of time stuff with silvermane yeah exactly yeah. the tablet of time story arc and i with silvermane so i thought i thought that might have been a an overarching story and i thought it would be a really cool level of mysticism into spider-man's story but i thought it was too bold i thought it was too out there for it and i i know if you're going to do a spider-man film you're <laughs> When you're doing a when you're doing a Spider-Man film and you're doing you're dealing with Spider-Man's rogue gallery, a lot of them are scientists, but they're they're in the end they're thieves. That's essentially he's dealing with these really weird types of thieves. They're all about stealing money for a cause, or they're all about just getting recognition for something that they did. Um, and I I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's the best way to work from is like you look at Sandman. Sandman would rob banks. Yeah. Like that's what he did. Rhino, Rhino robbed banks. Why? Because they just wanted to be like notorious criminals. Um, you know, Vulture stole tech, and and on top of that, he was uh uh on top of that, he was you know he would steal. Like that's what he would do. Um, and then. Green Goblin was a was a just a essentially a terrorist like a, 
because you would destroy things. But Doc Ock, another example, is a scientist who just needed money for his research that was super unstable and completely dangerous. Um, every, and like Craven was a Merc. They would hire him to hunt down Spider-Man. Like these are simple villains, but man, are they colorful. Yeah. They have so much backstory that you can really play with and build on. But it's just interesting to see that, you know, like Kang, for example, in the Avenger side, Kang is like trying to fix time to to better to better his timeline. Um, you know, like when Avengers are dealing with a villain, they're like God tier villains. Like they are either going to wipe out the world or like or rule it one or the other you know, kind of thing. And then, so Spider-Man's dealing with these rogues, but they're the most memorable villains you get, like Green Goblin, Vulture, Sandman, Craven, um, Chameleon, you know, Mysterio, like, oh, uh, the list goes on and on. But he, that's why Sony went for Spider-Man is because all his characters can stand on their own two feet. They can tell these incredible stories. Yeah, and like you said, they look great. So you put them on a screen, they translate well. Um, like I, as much as I loved how he was depicted in the movie, like I can't imagine being in that concept art room where they're like, okay, guys, we have to make iron monger. Like, Oh, like there's, there's just something about the way these villains look that is, it blows out of the water, everybody else's villains. Um, and that gives it this sense of, of visual wonder that I think is missing from a lot of the other Marvel sort of pantheons, maybe with the exception of Thor. I think Thor's villains all look incredible. They're just not as famous. I think that's their, mm -hmm. that's the flip side of it. But Spider-Man had all that going for it. Um, I mean, he's got right neck and neck with Batman for the best villains. So you are never going to be short of villains to use. And I, I think Vulture was a great choice because he was new. We hadn't seen him before. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, they they decided to kind of do this little meta thing where it's like, let's cast a guy who's famous for being in a comic book movie when comic book movies were not what they are now. Uh, well, it's, it is funny you say that, too, because I, I bet you any money when they were in the meeting room with Sony talking about how they were going to do this film. I bet you Sony was like, we need to do Green Goblin. We need to do... You know, um, you see it. You see that repetitious yeah. pattern they have. They start with their strongest villain, one of Spider-Man's strongest villains. And they're like, we need Green Goblin, so we're going to do that. Both the other two Spider-Man se movie series both started with Green Goblin. And it's it's just... Ugh. Yeah, I'm so done with Green The only way I would be happy to see Green Goblin right now is if he straight up looks like an elf like he did in the cartoon. Like if he is not a guy in a suit. Like yeah. he's got to uh, yeah. look kind of like a Thor villain at this point for me to get excited. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I just realized too, like, sorry, in this, in the amazing Spider-Man run, uh, Green Goblin wasn't the first villain, but they were already working towards him being a villain. Yeah. And, 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 uh, they were smart to go for like the lizard, which I thought was an interesting one. Except they ruined but, the lizard. Oh God, they did. They did. They had a great actor pick pick for him too. Oh, oh don't get me started on the Amazing Spider Man. 
I know, I know. I, I don't want to do it. Um, okay, so, but yeah, Vulture was a, a really good choice. And again, you know, I don't know how these conversations went down, but the creative team, smart move. Let's go for, you know, a, let's go for a character no one's going to expect. Exactly. Because I, I we were, we were, our minds are trained to think like, oh, they're going to go for like a really big villain. And Vulture, you're right, Vulture is one, but he flies under the radar all the time. And even me, my mindset was like, they're going to go for like, I, I thought they may go for Craven or, or something, but I don't know. I, I had, I, or I, I thought like, yeah, or, um, I thought Green Goblin may have been an, another start, but yeah, I wasn't expecting Vulture. And again, brilliant move. Uh, Marvel picked an actor that was just the right amount of fame for this character, um, and and it's not like Michael Keaton's not like a super A-listing actor because he is, but it's just like his fame was at the right spot to like put him back into a superhero movie and give him a fresh new character to play with. Yeah. And Vulture is like, he is so sort of left of center that he doesn't come with that baggage that a Green Goblin or a Venom would come with. Because if you say, if you decide, all right, he's going to be Green Goblin, he's going to be the villain of, of this movie. Well, then he automatically has that baggage of he's Norman Osborn or Harry Osborn. Either way, he's one of the two Osborns and Harry is. Yeah. So you got that like Vulture never had that baggage to him. So they were free to be more creative. And because of that, we got, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it. But we get like one of the best twists in the MCU halfway through this movie. Oh yeah, we couldn't so have had that good. moment if this was Green Goblin. There's no way we would have had that moment. It would have just... no. It's it, it's such a brilliant twist. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but it's it is it is interesting. And and you know what? Talking about all this stuff. So Vulture's introduced right out of the beginning of the movie. Not only that, there is actually a fun little tidbit there. Is that in the theme of the movie, uh, the movie the the, the movie song, um, the orchestral theme. They actually do a nod to the original Spider-Man trilogy. Ooh, I didn't notice that. I I, I did want to talk about the '60s theme during the Marvel logo, which just puts a big smile on my face. But I didn't notice the theme. <laughs> Tell me about this. Yes. Yeah, so um, as they do uh, the Marvel cinematic sequence, uh, and you hear like the dun da 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 da, you know that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually hear uh, one of the the strings, uh, a quartet of strings, I guess. But they hear that, which is similar to um, similar not only to the sixty theme, but it also they also play into um, <laughs> that lady on the street. Uh, this, <laughs> where did you go to, Spider Man? Oh yeah, that, you know? that busker, that busker, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yes, it is the uh, yeah. It's all in there. It's all one mixed into a, a as as it's been phrased in in articles, a nostalgic jingle. So they integrate pieces of the Danny Elfman score from the Maguire movies, like that whole yes, that whole thing. Yep. Wow, that's cool. I didn't catch that, and I guess I was too busy just like being a kid again hearing that that uh but, da, 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 da. and 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 you know since we're talking about spider-man by the way uh from the from the last podcast flashback um from the last podcast you were talking about the spider-man game uh the kingpin one mm-hmm. um i had never seen that game before ever 
never ever seen it i watched the game footage you sent wow. me never never seen it it's before, cool though so. wow it's a nice looking game it's an interesting game i i mean to play it today would would probably hurt a little bit because it's really dated yeah and it, it, like, it's not one of those things where the graphics age too well no. um even even though it's pixelated uh but uh yeah no it was, it was definitely interesting so i wanted to quickly throw that out there before we really deep dive into it so uh also talking about the sequence where they introduce the vulture um they introduced the department of damage control uh, which is really cool. This is definitely more of the ultimate run of the Avengers. Uh, but yeah, they hire uh, a construction team uh, that has their own comic book run uh, called the Department of Damage Control. And basically the stories are about like what what happened in this area. And it's like, and then you kind of follow damage control as they like repair the city and talk about like how these events went down. Um, so yeah, you get, uh, you get, you get a really good comic book reference right out of the gate um, with the uh, department of damage control. And I think damage control had a show at this time too, because there's a lot of damage control in this movie. Like even the warehouse he gets stuck in later is their, their warehouse. Like they kept pushing it. So I was like, okay, I think there's a show happening concurrent with this yeah no exactly um for sure so yeah it's but it's it's just nice to see and it's nice storytelling and i i like the inclusivity of the chitari aliens in in the departments yes yeah it makes total sense like those weapons are on the ground it's the already in the first opening stinger of this movie before the credits it already does a better job integrating with the mcu than every netflix show they did i know well i i gotta give props to daredevil because again they do they do make some nods but yes it's all like the battle of new york the battle of new york the battle of new york okay we get it they're <laughs> they literally start spider-man literally starts in the battle of new york uh, but you actually, I love that you, they're at the train station, like among the wreckage of like the, the scene. So that's really cool to see that. Um, now this interesting thing about this too, is in the beginning of the movie, I like how he has like, I, I like how they do the sequence where he has the, he shoots the civil war. Mm -hmm. He filmed civil war. And I got to talk about the scene a little bit because, um, and I'm sorry if I pair of my own my own thoughts here, but I really want to land this plane uh, before I forget. Uh, so I, I love this because in a lot of acting scenes um, or even in a lot of stories, when a character appears, a lot of people want to know, well, how did they get there or what what how do they get there or how do they get to that point? Or what were they doing in those events? Right. right. And I love how the movie starts him off with him filming the whole thing which is awesome because again spider-man's a photographer but i love how in this one he's a youtube celebrity yeah. and he films all his stuff and i think that is the greatest modernization of spider-man because that's what he would be doing if spider-man was written today if he was written in the 2000s uh, especially now like like in the uh in the 2010 era then yes, he would be trying to make YouTube videos catching clips of Spider-Man. That's exactly what he would be doing. And I love this because he's having fun narrating the film and making all these weird references and all this stuff. And he's, I love it. I love it. <laughs> love it. And, uh, and speaking of like, um, and speaking of 
you know, what was he doing? There was a lot of theories that Spider-Man, uh, the Tom Holland Spider-Man was in Iron Man 2. And, uh, and so it got escalated so much to a point where Peter Parker confirmed, well, Tom Holland confirms that Peter Parker in Iron Man 2 was confirmed uh, that it was him. That kid in the mask? And that, well, like, not the actor, but, yeah. like, that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be Peter Parker, the kid in the mask with the thing. That's cool. When did they confirm that? Uh, they didn't, I don't know if they have the date here, um, but uh, it, I think they confirmed when the movie was coming out. Um, uh, and the fact and there's also a Easter egg reference in that there's a massive glow from Stark Expo focused in the distance for a full second in Peter's amateur documentary. Uh, yeah, the documentary he made. Oh. So in that documentary sequence, he has a reference to the the glow. That is beautiful. Yeah, that he, his whole opening scene with Happy, where he's just filming away, and Happy's like, you know, these walls are thin, right? Like that. <laughs> that is just yeah. some of the. The best, the best comedic writing. Oh, oh like the, the relationship he has with Happy. I, I don't know who wrote that humor, but oh, so good. Now, here's a question for you. Were you at all, I mean, lady on the subway with a guitar aside, were you at all disappointed that the Spider-Man theme was not in the old Sam Raimi movies? <sighs> yeah, I was actually, um, because like, here's the thing when you're dealing with Spider-Man, like you're dealing with like, like you're dealing with a mythology, like you are dealing with a textbook encyclopedia sized mythology uh, of not only growth within like the comics, but like media growth as well, because his fame peaked in the nineties. Like we are, we are products of his fame. Oh yeah. Like we are, we are products of his fame because that his character is what attracted us to it. So yeah, I was a little disappointed. It was. And it was, I remember the, that movie came out in 2002, uh, I think Mm -hmm. May, 2002. And I remember uh, like back then, you know, there's not really an internet presence for film as there is now. So, you know, you're not logging on Google every day to see like, okay, what's the news about the Spider-Man movie. But I, Mm -hmm. I knew it was coming out because I was hearing about it and reading about it, looking forward to it. And in February, like a few months before the movie came out, I remember I was watching the Oscars and there was one award that was presented by Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. So this is before the first movie, but everybody in Hollywood knows these two are the stars of the Spider-Man movie that's coming out soon. And, you know, the announcer says like, okay, and now to give out the next award, here's Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. And they walk out on stage and the orchestra plays the Spider-Man theme like a beautiful orchestra, like, like exactly like how yeah. we at the beginning of this movie. And yeah. I got so excited. I was like, Oh my God, I've never heard an orchestra play that song before. I can't wait to hear it in the movies. And guess what? I didn't hear it in the four movies I saw before homecoming. So when, I, when this Marvel logo comes up and I hear that tune finally played by an orchestra on the big screen, I can't tell you what a, just what a, a moment it was of like, it's about friggin' time. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, damn, why did it take that long? I know, I know. It's true, though. And I mean, like, you still have to look at the original trilogy. I mean, 
you go, you take a step back, and you have to look at the original trilogy as a, as a success, despite the third one. Oh yeah, I um, liked part three. Even even Sam Raimi will acknowledge that he he will say that it was a battle to get Spider-Man 3 the way he wanted. He said that he would have actually stopped at Sandman and uh, and then have the story with Harry Osborn, and that's it. Like, he didn't want Venom in it at all. Yeah. Um, and it, you could tell. You could tell by the way the story's written that um, that uh, that Eddie Eddie and the Venom story is really shoehorned in there. Yeah, you, you like, don't introduce Eddie the symbiote costume and venom in the same movie there's just not enough room in fact the tv show did such a good job that eddie brock takes up the his story takes up the entire season his story is the main story but a bunch of side stories help build blocks to his story he's like this little rosencrantz just kind of moving around in the background and like bad stuff keeps happening to him and he's like ah, i hate you spider-man he's so i'm pissed off at you right now i'm from new york hey the knicks and then he gets the symbiote on him in the finale and it's like perfect you set this up it's so good but not only that like the whole story of his like and again this is the same problem that fox has with with the phoenix saga the whole symbiote story, there is a transformation that, that Parker goes through um, as and, and Spider-Man and Spider-Man and Parker story goes through of him turning, like getting evil thoughts and, and basically becoming a schizophrenic. Um, and you can't do that in one film. You can't. You have to like Spider-Man wearing the symbiote suit alone is a movie within itself. Like that's that's a whole movie. And in the end of that movie, then yes, if you wanted to, you could end it with the whole Venom thing starting, but not started. You know yeah, what I mean? Like that, that's a perfect like, when it falls on him and he roars for the first time, that's a perfect yeah. place to end a movie. Exactly. Like you never like you see the shadow of the villain, but you never see who the villain is. It's like it's like the the Friday thirteenth movie. I'm so glad as someone who who despises horror films because i just don't like getting scared and i don't like i don't like things getting under my skin um i loved i loved watching friday the 13th the first one because it's not about jason it's about the story that becomes jason but it's not about him for the first exactly movie. and don't turn around because he's behind you right now and if you turn you really oh god, god. Oh, no no ah. yeah, uh but yeah right. no yeah you gotta so yeah, you got to give it time. So, and what I love about this movie, and, and especially with Spider Man Homecoming, first of all, brilliant title, um, Homecoming. Obviously, now that he's back with Marvel, and, and now that Marvel is at a point where it's like, it's Marvel has risen to a fame where people want Spider Man in it. And Sony's like, you know what? We want to be in it because it's that awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say the director that worked on this, first of all, I am stoked. Uh, by the time of this recording, he has announced that he will be directing Fantastic Four. Oh um, my god! He's, yeah, he's finishing. He's finishing this trilogy, uh, and then if they, if Spider-Man decides to make his own trilogy with Sony or whatever, they, I think they've already talked about the directors that will take over for uh, for Spider-Man. I remember seeing it in the news. It's happening um so there may be like if spider-man goes with sony obviously they're going to do spider-man films they're already working on Mo morbius which in my mind looks interesting but it's uh 
<laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm still curi- curiously, uh, or sorry, cautiously optimistic about how that movie's going to turn out. But I like the fact that Sony's doing movies on those characters because, again, it just goes to show you how how much depth those characters will have. But going back to my director story, I'm super stoked. This director, John Watts, is going to be doing the Fantastic Four movies and what he did with Spider-Man in terms of modernizing these characters in the Spider-Man world. I'm very excited to see how he's going to modernize uh, the Fantastic Four and and see how he's going to do that. Oh, agreed. Um, yeah, and so... Uh, but giving props to the the lore and the mythology and all the stuff about Spider-Man, I love how this director in the first like 30 minutes of the film has acknowledged so much <sighs> from as from as simple things as the music to as to as complex things as like the timeline of MCU events. Um, there is some uh, speculation about the whole him traveling to Germany and how all that stuff works in terms of coming back with Tony and all that um because of the the bruise and all this stuff i don't care personally i i love that this director though is already looking at a sequence of events and trying to tie everything together as best he can to keep spider-man as a part of the story and the flow and the feel um that being said you know already there's so many drops of of moments here um you know you have uh you have actually a Howard Stark cameo. Uh, there's a large mural painted on the over the staircase at the school when you see Peter Parker go to the school, and Howard Stark's in there. So you can oh, see I that think- they're 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 making these like huge props. And I again, I don't want to get too much into it because we actually have to talk about um, we actually have to talk about a lot of events leading up to that. Uh, but uh, it's actually cool because the image. Uh, you actually see of Howard is transforming from the actor Dominic Cooper to John Slatery. So it's already blending and like trying to keep everything within the timeline. That is beautiful. And I think, I think that's necessary. And John Watts did a great job with it because you know, you are, we're three phases in. So at this point, any new franchise um, Mm -hmm. is going to have to kind of give us that little spiel like, okay, Shang-Chi, cool. You seem like a cool dude. Where have you been? And, and I think it's yeah. got to tell us that. Even, you know, it could be something as simple as a Shang-Chi's a young guy. So he was too young, just like Spider-Man. He was too young to be a hero during the events of Avengers. Perfect. That's all I need to know. Uh, I think yeah. Eternals, I think the whole movie Eternals is pretty much going to be like, a, hey, this is where we've been for millenniums. Uh, which is awesome tell me tell me that story i like the more i the more i see the more the world becomes like bigger right you know what i mean like it's not just like it was iron man story then it was cap story then it was thor story and then it was this story no it's like okay while this was happening this was happening while this was happening this was happening like like even with thor what blows my mind is like when we even started talking about the infinity rewatch um people have talked about how to watch the movies. And if you want to watch it in terms of time accurate, you have to watch Thor first. That's weird. Which is, which is weird, right? How does anything come Uh, before Captain America though? Because you have to, well, and that's the thing you have to break it down as specifically the events with Odin that take place first. Uh, Okay. So you watch a bit of Thor and then a bit, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. And then, and then you start with Captain America. Yeah, I can get behind that. I'm sure somebody's going to make a super cut one day, and I will more than happily check that out. Um, but I, I want to yeah. talk to you about about Peter's high school. 
Um, yeah. there, like, first of all, I don't know if, if you did this, if your high school did this, but um, those two kids who do sort of like morning announcements on the TV, uh, that was me. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had. I totally believe it. Yeah. I totally believe there was a girl that you liked and she turned you down. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had um, our morning announcements like normal that were just done over a PA system. And I wanted to do those a bunch. So I would do those as many times as I could. But then we also had uh, at, at some point, I think when I was in grade 11, they started putting monitors in every classroom like a, a tv monitor up on the corner just like they had here at midtown high and um the media students would make little shows about like school news just like this and put it on and our show because our school's mascot was called the cardinals our show was centered around that and it was called the bird's eye view so we uh we would have like this little thing with announcements called bird's eye view and like a bunch of random kids or like us, the drama kids, we would go on and we'd be like, Hey, there's a trip coming up soon. You want to get tickets for the trip? You got to come over here. Like we would make little videos like that. Uh, we were nowhere near as funny as, as those two kids in that video. Uh, hey, you want to go to homecoming with me? No. <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that was, uh, that was me. Um, and then we, we meet Peter's sort of group of, of, uh, of homies and they're like they're so entertaining i don't remember the name of of the kid uh who keeps ringing the bell but he was like my favorite and and they were just so like i could just watch a whole movie of just these kids and you talked about how good the modernization was i think one of the mm -hmm. best pieces of modernization they did was they took the very predictable very very stereotypical flash thompson and made him a math geek and he's still oh yeah. He, he, yeah i love flash like it is i love what they did with him so much every time he's on screen i'm like i can't wait to hear what he's gonna say like i'm just waiting for him to open his mouth and, you know when i say penis you say parker <laughs> he became i love oh he became this this institution unto himself i love flash I, I love what they did with Flash Thompson in this one. It's going to be hard to, or it's going to be interesting and both difficult to see how they're going to build on his story because he has actually a pretty pretty interesting story. Um, but it, it ties into how certain events will play out. Um, but uh, what I like about this Flash is, yeah, the modernization of what a type of bully would look like today. Yeah, and I like that he's anymore. like... He, he, like they're not they don't have to be sports jocks yeah. they could just be this like essentially this like uh uh academically aggressive person even though they're wrong they're just gonna you know throw out answers to just try to be right you know what i mean yeah uh and while while dem demoting and making other people feel worse and it's it's brilliant and it's it, it's done in such a classy not it rubbed in your face way and i love also that like flash is like this guy who's got this he's got his parents car and he's like this fancy kid uh because again that's what i i honestly think that's what a bully would look like today yeah and he is like he's the type of kid that the og flash would bully but you know the tables have turned it's a very different world and you can already see, like at least what I'm familiar with, the the Flash Thompson that I know of eventually becomes a friend of Peter's. And you can already see that seed being planted. And mm -hmm. I love it so much. But now here's, here's a comic question for you, my resident expert here. Tell me about 
Ned Leeds. What's the deal with this kid? Oh man, oh this is this is a complicated, complicated uh, thing, man. Because his story is actually he is the the hobgoblin. Yeah, he's the hobgoblin. He's and hobgoblin. You, I think there was like four of them. Yeah, he's playing an iteration of Hobgoblin. Um, yes, there's been many, many people who have worn the uh, the, the cape and cowl of the Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting that they have this actor who's playing Ned Leeds, uh, who's a friend of Peter's, uh, which works. His best friend. Uh, yeah, uh, one of his best friends, yes. And um, and again, great, great friendship and nerd relationship. Uh, but uh, yes, he is a character that eventually becomes the Hobgoblin. And there's again in those wonderful rumors that are piling up in Spider-Man Three, Ned might become the Hobgoblin. Holy crap! That's and did you notice he kept wearing shirts with bugs on them? I yes, I did notice that actually. I didn't notice that in, in terms of like okay, yes, I did notice he was wearing bug shirts, but I didn't notice the think of the coincidence of how many times he wore bug shirts throughout the whole thing. Yeah, like it be uh, it was a pattern. I kept seeing them, and I don't know if that means anything. Um, like I don't associate Hobgoblin with bugs. So I, like, I was just waiting to see him wear something orange. I was trying to look out for that and I didn't see him wearing anything Mm -hmm. orange, but, oh man, that's, that's crazy how we can't get away from the whole thing of Peter's best friend becomes a goblin. Um, but then we also get Liz Allen, who is a character that I know from the cartoons being Mary Jane's friend and i know from the comics she ends up marrying harry osborne yes uh liz oh my god liz allen so liz is actually peter's first crush ah uh, by the way girl blazer beautiful gorgeous oh yeah just a, a gorgeous young lady um actually even mary jane or, or sorry michelle michelle jones um <laughs> as they they happily changed her name in this one um but uh but yeah, uh, the the actresses they cast, or sorry, actors, the actors they cast for um, these characters are just amazing. Um, so yeah, Liz Allen's in this, and uh, again, they really found a really interesting way to make this character relevant, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, but yes, it was Peter's first crush, uh, and obviously she does not. Uh, oh man, she puts him down pretty hard. Uh, let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, puts it down pretty hard, but in the uh, in the comics and uh yes you she ends up uh, down the road uh uh becoming an item with uh harry yeah which which is funny because harry did at one point like mary jane and it's a whole whole twist and turn into that whole thing i feel like everybody liked mary jane at some point well she was the it girl yeah. like she was just she was she veronica was the, lodge she, yeah she was a veronica lodge but okay so mary jane I will say MJ for the rest of this thing because I don't want to have to keep switching between the two the names here. <laughs> so MJ, um, she is one of those people that is popular but doesn't know it. Yeah. Um, she knows she knows her worth and is confident enough to just be herself. She's a very self-actualized character in the in the comics and in the uh, in the cartoons. Um, the the one in the 90s cartoon does a good job but i think she does she still appears kind of aloof uh in terms of just everything 
Um, whereas the one in Spectacular Spider-Man is probably the best iteration of her because she just like, you know, she goes to like thrift stores because she likes finding unique clothes that, that help her really stand out. You know what I mean? And um, she's into theater because it's all about expression and expressionism. Um, and whenever she talks to Peter, she just understands him on a language le- like a, a, a linguistics level because she she's just so invested in everything. Like she she knows about scientists because she's followed history, you know, like like she knows every, like she knows a lot and she can talk to Peter, but she not to not to a super scientific level, but she she gets it. She she just gets it. Yeah, she she's um, like hyper, like whip smart, intelligent and socially a genius. Like she can. Yes. Yeah. Conversations. And what I liked about MJ, even though like, you know, she's not a huge part of this movie, but like what I like about MJ is that she um, she was the one, at least in my own head, thinking about the character is she's the one who brings Peter out of his shell and makes him because he's a shy teenager and she's absolutely not shy. And them having a relationship is her being like, Tiger, why are you so shy for? Like, just be cool, man. Just be, what's wrong with you? Quit sitting like that. Sit cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the best way to describe it is, yeah, she. I think she's like a future iteration of Peter where it's not, she's not just about science, but she's so well educated that, but she's so confident within herself that she's trying to get that out of Peter. And that's how they relate to each other. Because I, I feel at one point MJ was misunderstood, you know, maybe, maybe with her own family. Because in the... In the comics, she has a pretty messed up family. Oh yeah, her dad is a big uh, meanie. Oh yeah, he's a nasty dude. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I, I I really agree. Like, I think that she's just like trying to get Peter to relax and like get out of his own shell. Yeah, um, man, just chill, as, bro. As, as yeah, as someone that relates to it, right? So, um, so yeah, so I that's why I love this MJ. I I think, and again, this is this is definitely an MJ we would find in today's world. And that's again the director, the casting director. They they got it, man. They figured out how you would find these people today. From from Tom Holland being Peter Parker, that's how you would find him. He's literally a fly in the wall. He's an awkward dude, but people things seem to generate like things seem to happen around him that makes him interesting. And and people are starting to try to catch on to like what is it about him, um, and so so yeah, so it's really cool to see. There's actually a lot of cool things about the school sequence, if you will. Um, the locker, his locker, if you really want to do your homework and break it down, um, is uh, is actually a reference to uh, his locker number is a reference to a comic book, uh, which many fans would know about. Wow. Uh, because it bears the name Homecoming, and it's the issue about uh, the symbiote suit. Ooh, that's really cool. That's mm-hmm. that's some love. That's some tender love right there. I like that. Yeah. So in that issue, uh, he heads to the Fantastic Four headquarters and discovers the truth. Uh, Reed Richards revealed that the black suit was really an alien symbiote and helped Peter separate from it. So in the cartoon, uh, the 90s one, he actually went to Connors, uh, probably because the Fantastic Four, they just didn't have the rights to use them yet. Uh, We do actually see them a little bit later on. But yes, the Fantastic Four actually help him get in it and give him the uniform with the paper bag over his head. So you never know. We might still get that story at some point. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if we get the paper bag Spider-Man in the Fantastic Four movie just because it's John Watts. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and as you so brilliantly discovered in our Incredible Hulk episode, Spider-Man's teacher is that guy. <laughs> yeah, Earth, Spider-Man's teacher. Salutes yeah. with pizza. He, <laughs> wow, that is, talk about like a deep cut reference to itself. Or the MC. Uh, hey, we- not... Not only that, in science class, uh, with the pictures above the head, uh, with the pictures of different scientists above the head, is actually a uh, is there's a Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner's in the in the picture in the top. Oh no way! Yeah. So there's again John Watts, man, respecting the lore, bringing it all together. Um, actually, in fact, in a history classroom, uh, you actually see a picture of uh, Dr. Abraham Erskine. Dr. Erskine, I love that. That's. This is beautiful. This is this is why you come here. This is why you guys come here yeah. to rewatch. Um, yeah. You know, Ryan, here's. Do you like food? I love food. Yeah, food's pretty cool, right? Oh yeah, love food. I I have this this little obsession with food and movies. Uh, particularly, I love to see characters eat and see how they eat. And I even do this thing with my my students. And like, it's an acting thing I like to do where I try to eat as my character, and it helps me get into character and stuff. I think that food tells a story, um, and it. Are you saying that the bre- the bread, the sandwich he gets with the pickles in it and the smush way down, or is that where this is it, going? It's going to that sandwich. Um, it's nothing crazy. It's not like some big reveal, but I love that order. I love you know him walking in there and saying, like he he waves to the guy. He's like, hey man, a sandwich, but extra pickles, and can you smush it down really flat? That tells me that this is his element We're we're seeing him in his element. He, he comes into this shop a lot. He orders that sandwich a lot and he prefers it flat because it, you know, for, for whatever reason, maybe that's, there's something about that, that he likes. I don't know. And that that's not really relevant, but those little things I think tell us so much about characters. Um, I have my favorite example of that is in Blade Runner, the first Blade Runner. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, one of my again, I, I love love science fiction movies. Johnny Mnemonic, Blade Runner, Matrix, uh, like those kind of movies. Oh, love it. Okay. So yes, okay. I've seen Blade Runner. So, so you'll you'll know where I'm going with this. Where it's it's really yeah. early in Blade Runner too. It's like right around the beginning, where Deckard is walking through the city and he stops at this this street stall that sells food, and he orders yeah. like a, a a bowl of of this food from the guy. And the guy's like, okay. And he turns around to start cooking it. And Deckard really quickly cuts in and says, hey, with noodles. And that tells me so <laughs> much. It, it, it tells me like, okay, he has gotten this order before without noodles. And he didn't care for that. Like there's so much story just in that one little thing of him saying oh, with noodles. And I, I felt the same way watching, watching Peter order the sandwich. So screenwriters, don't be afraid of food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I love, and it's funny how you say in his element, because at that point we kick off into him becoming Spider-Man in the full suit, which again, I love his again, modernized suit, man. Like yeah, what man. would a Spider-Man, what would a Spider-Man suit look like today? That's like, and that is exactly what it would look like today. It's, it's, it's a great transformation. I love, he puts it on. It's all baggy. He hits a switch the vacuum seals onto his body, uh, probably for aerodynamics, uh, which is really cool. And it makes sense. Um, when we try to wear Spider-Man outfits in real life, we end up looking like the baggy version. 
Fun fact, uh, a long, 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 long time ago, uh, my mom actually made me, uh, for Halloween, from scratch, a Spider-Man costume. God bless you, Gloria Whitehead. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gloria J. Whitehead makes a, uh, uh, makes a Spider-Man costume from scratch. Fun fact, with the webbed armpits. Oh, my God. Can I put in an order for next Halloween? <laughs> you should yeah. i will i will let her know i will let her know but it was it, it was it was a fantastic costume made solely from scratch and and i will tell you it it looked like a sw- it actually i will say it looked like his suit that he had when he didn't have the stark suit the hoodie and the <laughs> oh cool yeah it was but it, yeah it was pretty amazing um so yeah, see what he did there. Uh, but yes, so so yeah. But we see his modern suit, and again, I love the New York scene where he's just running around New York, but he's being this this guy who's just in his element, like just having a good time. Like uh, like the cheesiest things, I love it to death. I love he swings, and as he's passing the subway, and he puts this like lying down pose, and he's like, "Hey, everyone," mm-hmm. and uh, and then zip lines and keeps going. I love he's riding the subway train. <laughs> <laughs> and eating a sandwich like it's hard. <laughs> and i love he steal or he stops uh the the bike thing and he does the whole nine yards now the interesting thing about the spider-man is this kind of ties into the ultimate civil war run um which is a nice tie-in because again in the civil war story spider-man is really close to iron man like he is he ends up working for tony yeah, as a gross. part of yeah, they're they're like close, and then Tony ends up making him a suit. So they actually use the Ultimate Story to kind of tie, every, or sorry, the Civil War story to kind of tie it all in, um, and it's done in a beautiful way. Yeah, he's given this suit um, that uh, that is very much like Iron Man's suit. And I, I at first I didn't like the idea of him having a, a suit that had the voice in his head, mm-hmm. but at this point we don't know that yet. But I did like the idea that he had the suit. It, he kind of sees like Iron Man does and he can like change his web cartridges, which again, props. We finally get to, you know, outside of amazing Spider-Man, we finally get to see, you know, he makes the webbing um, and it looks like webbing. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, um, and I like that uh, the, the, one of the New Yorkers recognize him as like a guy from YouTube. He's like, yeah, you're the Spider-Man from YouTube. Which you know, I, you know, props to that guy. I, I love that. I love the enthusiasm he brings to that character. Uh, but you know, I I definitely did not think his voice would be like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love it. He's like, yeah, you're that Spider-Man guy on YouTube. Do a flip. Like, yeah, call me Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man, do a flip. <laughs> like I, that's that's again, that's what we would see. Yeah. It's it's brilliant, and I love the Ramon soundtrack. Uh, it's such a youthful it's such a youthism to use it it's like it's just fun and uh it's so punk rock it's it's awesome uh so yeah and then i love he's like bothering happy hogan with all these like messages of like and leaving him voice messages of like hey i you know help this lady get directions and I, and we also get our stan stanley cameo which was really good yeah. he's like hey you punk <laughs> you do it you do don't it don't make me come down there <laughs> And she's like, hey, Stan. And, or she's like, hey, Barbara, how's your mom? <laughs> Classic, Stan. Classic. We love you. Uh, so, yeah. So, I love the whole Spider-Man sequence. It's just such a modern, modern, fun, um, 
fun iteration of Spider-Man that we see, and it's uh, it's really really great. Oh, and uh, now now I will finish off the school sequence actually because there's a couple things in here. Yeah, go for it. Um, so in the hallway and also from the subway, we see a character with white hair. Now there are two s- schools of thought on this. Um, it's the first school of thought is that people thought that was Felicia. Ooh. Everyone's like, oh, that looks like Felicia. I swear it's her. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, now, I wouldn't mind that story if that's true, but I doubt they would. I doubt. I don't know. I doubt that they would build that kind of story that early. Like, I just it's too it's too subtle of a cameo for that to be true. Right. Yeah. If they, were, uh, if they put in the effort to build that story, it wouldn't be like a Where's Waldo thing. Yeah, it it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be that subtle. It's just not yeah. it, like like you would have heard someone say, "Hey, Felicia," yeah, exactly. or something like that, or or like a teacher being like, or she's in the class, and then a teacher rifling through names, being like, "Oh, is uh, Felicia Hardy here?" Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Liz Allen's troop of friends, uh, there is a girl amongst them whose name is mentioned, and it's Cindy Moon. Ooh. Now she's an interesting character because uh she ultimately becomes a superhero known as Silk, which is a uh, kind of like a Spider-Woman, but a newer version. That's right. I've heard of Silk. I like this. I like where this is going. Yeah, so there's uh there's uh there's that there too. And then of course Midtown High, uh wanna point this out as well. Uh, Midtown High, the year, the founding year is 1962, which is the year year Spider-Man debuted in Amazing Fantasy 15. Mm -hmm. I was there. I helped them write it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you are an old soul, old time traveling soul indeed. Um, Yes. So, yeah. uh, But, yeah, the school sequence, the Spider-Man sequence was amazing. and uh, I love that how Ned f- figures out it. <laughs> oh my god! And they, don't, they don't waste the time on that. Like just like how they don't waste the time on the origin because we don't need it. They don't waste the time yes. on his friend not knowing and being like, "Peter, where were you?" Like we we've seen that. We get it. He has a secret, but Ned being in on it is it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it works. And and so just before this happens, uh, we get the bank robbing scene uh, with the, the tech, uh, with the, the weird alien tech, uh, which I love that fight scene. It's so much fun. My brother and I thought there was a nod to Chameleon in there because behind him, it talks about, I, there's a poster that talks about identity theft. Oh. Uh, but again, no one else is really has called up that Easter egg. So I'm going to let that, lay there as a thought but i doubt it's a thing um also uh you know again talking about wrapping up the students in there uh we got our betty brant so who is a comic book character as well and one of peter's uh girlfriends at some point um and betty brant the first time we saw her was the elizabeth banks role in the original spider-man trilogy so we got betty brant as well sydney moon liz allen flash thompson we got a handful of comic book characters already. Just, just duh. the gang is all here. And even though we don't know yes. it till later, Mary Jane. 
Yes, we have MJ as well. Um, and then, so yeah, the bank, the bank scene was really cool. Uh, great sequence of events there. Uh, I love that he's like talk like again. Spider Man's doing what Spider Man does. He he just talks him to death. Yeah. He's always like cack. He's like cackling him on and like, hey, you know, Hulk, Thor, nice to meet you. You know, <laughs> like, you know, Iron Man, why are you stealing money? Aren't you rich? Like, I love that whole sequence. It's fun. Uh, but yes, he gets back in, and I love this because they don't explain the origin story. They don't even they don't they like they they give it one sentence, which is something bad happened to is something bad happened to him. Spider bit him. That's it. Boom. That's all you need to know. And maybe down the road we'll get some flashbacks or something. Who knows? His parents were spies for the Russian government. Maybe that's a thing. Uh, I hope not. We'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I love how he finds out. And uh, uh, and yeah, it just drops his... Uh, I love he drops the, the Death Star. And of course, uh, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May, who didn't know how old Aunt May was in the comic. Oh, wow. Uh, I love Marissa Tomei so much. Like she's, I think everybody has had a crush on her at some point. Uh, So I love the idea of her being, uh, what what would the ant version of MILF be? Elf? She's an elf. Um, (laughs) So I love the idea of making her that. Um, like, don't get me wrong. I think Rosemary Harris was an outstanding Aunt May. Like Aunt May was one of my favorite characters in the animated series because she was just such a sweetheart. And I was raised by a bunch of ants. So I always, I always had that connection with Peter. I was like, he's like me. He's, you know, he's always with his aunt. So like that, that made Mm -hmm. me feel closer to Peter Parker as a kid. Uh, so I just loved Aunt May for that. And Rosemary Harris was like, perfect. Like she looked exactly like her. Um, and, uh, she, she just kind of had the fun with, with that the character had because Aunt May is pretty fun and like, she doesn't know what's going on. So her cluelessness makes for some, some, some chuckles. Uh, so with, I wasn't sure when I heard about Marissa Tomei, I was like, I, I, this could go horribly wrong. Uh, but it didn't. And she's still that sort of aloof lady who just, you know, she loves Peter. She has no idea what he's up to. If she did know she would kill him herself. <laughs> yeah but uh marissa just she she did great she exceeded all expectations yeah i i she exceeded it but again modernization she doesn't have to be this old aunt she could be this young you know younger more beautiful aunt that everyone seems to hit on her like it's it's funny but it works and i love it it's, it's uh it's, it's funny you mention that because it's like I don't know what it was, but like I have these old Archie comics that I, I've been reading. Like I, I have like a Christmas Archie comic book. So I, I started reading it like the other day. And some of those stories are from the 40s and 50s. So even a little bit before Spider-Man came out, but like some of them see in the 60s too. Now the Archies are all supposed to be 17, right? They're all supposed to be like teenagers. And every time their parents popped up in this comic, Ryan, they looked like old geezers. Yeah. Like, is that how everybody over 30 looked back in the in the in the 1950s i don't know man i don't know for, for all we know aunt may was like 32 <laughs> in all those comics <laughs> yeah i i don't know man that's a good question oh man i i know but aunt may is just a timeless character regardless yeah, so like just a timeless character but i will say uh another fun fact is uh this is this is something i actually had to look up but um, uh, just to compare my notes uh, with other Easter eggs, but this one was the one that was surprising to me. 
when they show the Thai restaurant that Peter and Aunt May go to, the one beside it, there's a it's a building written in Korean. Um and uh and apparently the Korean, if you translate it, reads as the Korean Church of Asgard. Oh damn. And uh and it's uh <laughs> why uh, clearly, it, the, the article said it's clearly it, uh, intended as a one one note joke for those fast enough to catch it. But uh, why would some view Thor, Loki, and any other Asgardian have set foot on Earth as a type of deity or angelic visitor? Right. So they talked because they talk about the god visiting Earth and being a god. So that's uh, really interesting. Like and the event off show to me. <laughs> and the Avengers holdup is also based on uh, Ultimate Spider-Man comic, uh, where the uh, thieves wear different Avengers masks. Oh, cool! Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, the the whole yeah MJ or sorry Aunt May modernized is brilliant. I love it. Uh, I love that she doesn't like Tony Stark. I oh, it's so good. Um, and then we kind of cut to. Uh, cut to the the villains uh selling the selling the weapons and stuff don't we i I think yeah we cut back to them and i think these villains are worth mentioning because spider-man 3 gets a lot of flack for having too many villains um this upcoming spider-man 3 the title of which we don't know is already getting a lot of flack because it sounds like there's too many villains too many characters whatever Mm-hmm. But I have to, I want to keep reminding people this movie gave us not just the vulture but it gave us uh the tinkerer it gave us yes two yep. shockers not one shocker but two shockers and then it gave us cameos from scorpion and the prowler on top of that and it works it works and it works because not they're all not competing for like attention right um, especially the shocker. Uh, I, I loved it. That was so good. Perfect way to do the shocker. Uh, oh man. And it's funny because like we get, we get one iteration of a, of a shocker that we may be familiar with. And then it's a beautiful passing of the torch. And as you, as we all know on this podcast, I'm a big, big fan of that. Um, is if you, if you, if you're setting up a character or you're going to change a character, um, it's it's fun to use a character that may resemble something that you're familiar with and then have them pass the torch on to a new character that will bring new depth to it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Did you freak out when you saw his yellow and brown like armbands there, like his, his shirt? Oh, oh yeah. I when it, I remember in the Spider-Man 2 movie game where he called him... Uh, the cushion. Yeah, it's the cushion or uh, patented Pete or something, <laughs> or I can't remember. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, something like the cushion or the toaster or something like that. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just it's so cool. He's got the and I liked how they did his armband because in cartoon you can make it a little more fluffy with how you're like the sound waves and like doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I love this one was more like a boxing glove. And if you if you're in close proximity and you get hit, you go flying like it's it's really cool to see. Um, but I love the actors that played the shocker, the shocker role. It was so fun. Um, and uh, yeah, he had the the yellow sweater. Uh, pa- I would say plaid sweater. Um, and yeah, so 
so yeah, it's a great scene. And again, we see the vulture outfit with the the. I love the that his feet are the, like these giant talons that can grab on and like lift stuff. Um, I love his helmet. Mm-hmm. Again, great modern version of the character. It's just I love he's got the suit and with the green eyes, like the the vulture green oh. eyes. I, um, I not to say that the vulture had green eyes, but he had the same color tone as the original vulture costume in the eyes. Yeah, because this vulture doesn't have a, a huge amount of green, so they threw in as many splashes of green as they could, and it, it seals the deal. And, like, the wings, when during that final fight, the way the wings moved were really frightening. Like, it was legitimately scary because it looked like a real giant bird. Like, the wings didn't yeah. move mechanically. There was just something about it. And I was looking at it, and I was thinking, like, that makes him... 10 times scarier than he already is and i really hope they can pull off the same thing whenever they get around to doing scorpion's tail oh i'm curious how they're gonna do it i'm i'm again this is another cautiously optimistic uh how they're gonna do the suit for scorpion uh which we'll get to introducing that character because i love the actor they chose for him yeah uh which is funny funny that we bring that up and i'm gonna say this now before i forget um both him and Tatiana Mislani were both from the show Orphan Black. Oh, I and didn't know he's from Orphan Black. He's from Orphan Black. Yeah, he's the he's the boyfriend of the main character in the in the like the first season. Um, yeah, so he's a big he's a he's a big actor. Uh, he it, he is an interesting guy. And I, again, I don't want to deep dive into it because we'll get we'll talk about his intro later on, and I, I can't wait to talk about it because again, he does a really cool job. Um, but yeah, again, this this movie has so many comic book references, like so many. There are so many characters in this thing. We talked about Silk. We talked about Betty Brant, MJ. We talked about Vulture. We talked about Shocker. And like there are other students. There's another student in here. Uh, what's his name? He's part of the debate team. Um, his name. My favorite. His name is Abe, uh, and his name is Abe, and he's played by an actor, Abraham Atta, uh, a guy and an actor best known for the role in Beast of No Nation. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Uh, he, he does the whole joke with Flash Thompson. Uh, his full name uh, is Abraham Brown, and he is uh, a Marvel character known as Black Tiger. Oh, I've never heard of Black Tiger. Uh, he comes from a a small comic book series called The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, which is uh, when Marvel was doing like Shang Chi mm-hmm. and and Iron Fist and stuff like that, and kind of playing off of Bruce Lee's legacy. He was kind of an off character, but he's still a character of the Marvel universe. But there are so many characters prowler like they're all in there, which is awesome. And prowler even makes a, a reference to Miles Morales uh yes that's right who we might if, if we fyi if there's any fans listening uh of fans of the show this is us uh do you watch this is us ryan no i i don't think i do. i don't think i have there's a kid on this is us uh the actor's name is asante black and he would be a perfect miles morales perfect oh okay i'm now i'm gonna have to watch the show uh, because i get 
I always like to keep my eye out for for the like future casting of Marvel characters. So if you're saying this is a character I need to see, we need to see this. He doesn't uh, show up till like season four of This Is Us, I think. So if you just Google him, you'll see. But he like he's like this little, very short, scrawny little teenager dude, and like he is his acting chops are phenomenal. Like he's just a great young actor. Um, uh, I want to see him play Miles so badly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because so it's, yeah, it's I I can't wait to see how Marvel. I always get it. I mean, I I share the same enthusiasm with everybody when they when they cast things like when they cast Tatiana Maslany as She Hulk. I was just on board. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, but uh, it's it's awesome. So so yeah, it's it's just awesome to see the amazing amount of care our list our list of people in the mcu is gonna spike like oh, crazy in this, in this one because even with the shockers each each shocker was a real shocker like they're both a real version of the shocker right i don't know which one was herman schultz but that's the only version i know and i just sent you a picture of asante black so you know what this kid looks like oh perfect uh and so uh so the interesting thing Oh yeah, right. he looks so much like the role already. And he's younger than Tom Holland, so it's perfect too. I would I would have just cast him like <laughs> right out of the gate, just based on looks. Um true. So uh Herman Schultz is the one who gets uh uh he's the one who gets the uh Herman Schultz is the the second guy, the main the it. main dude who like fights. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because he yeah. he was my favorite of the two, so I was hoping he was Herman. Yeah. So Herman Schultz takes up the moniker, and so he is actually the original Shocker mm-hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Funny enough, the the uh, the one uh, movie begins. Uh, Jackson Bryce. Uh, he is a version of him, um, uh, in the Spectacular Spider-Man TV series. Spectacular, Spectacular Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. I don't remember him in that. He played Montana, which was part of the Enforcers, and he became the Shocker. Oh my God, that's right. Uh, but yes, so it's funny because they actually took two references of the character and they gave it back to the original Shocker, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Uh, it's it's beautifully done. Um, so, yeah, and we get to see the Tinkerer, which is normally an Avengers uh, villain, but it's nice that he's in uh, this this one here. So, okay, so now we have, we talked about that event um, and let's talk about, so I love, let's actually, let's fast forward to the, let's fast forward to the the party where he, he ends up finding out that uh, he tries to prove to his friends that he's friends with Spider-Man. I love that sequence. It's, it's a real emotional fun ride yeah. there. Um, and so, uh, we also get to see a uh, Captain America reference. And it's funny, too, because I love how the school recognizes Cap as a history thing, which I, I love seeing. Um, and uh, and and that he's, like, in the gym class and they have to follow, like, Captain America's fitness program. Which, by the way, uh, that was my biggest laugh in that movie theater when I saw this was him being, like, your gym teacher. And he's pointing to the wrong side of the screen. Uh, and uh, like that killed me, and then with the gym teacher following it up with like, I'm pretty sure this guy's a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and and it's funny actually that actor did was uh he loved doing he loved doing the movie but he didn't want to go to the premiere because he just didn't want to handle like the massive crowds and everything oh. so he he sent a guy he paid a guy to that looks just like him to go to the premiere oh my god <laughs> and he took photos and everything and it wasn't him it wasn't the real actor which i thought was hilarious um so so yeah so we get the chase sequence and i love that there's a, a beautiful nod to ferris bueller's day off and you got that diegetic music thing for a second yeah there, there you go yeah, yeah i love that phrase um and so uh but i love that he's running through the backyard they also you know ned makes the joke can you shoot like how far do your webs go because there's that joke in the cartoon or even in the comics it looks like he just shot into the air or hit a cloud yeah. and just like swung from there and it's funny how he goes running out into a field and he just shoots his web out into the air and just like comes out as like silly string and lands on the ground um and so we get we get a we get through the whole chase sequence it's so fun i love and again i love that he swings and like skids the pool soaks people and he's like sorry and just keeps going mm-hmm. um and then yeah and then i love that vulture grabs him takes him up in the air uh and then he ends up dropping because the the suit's got a built-in parachute which is a nice little nod uh there as well iron man saves him and i love that iron man's trying to like hey like you know trying to mentor him and everything yeah um i I love that relationship i thought that was so smart of of the writing to have like a a guy like tony and he's i think he's trying to groom a young avengers because he's i think that Someone like Tony, who's so smart and tries to look so far ahead, where he tries to build Ultron as a security measure to like protect the world and ends up backfiring on him. So he goes out and realizes that like he needs people similar to Captain America who has the will to make a difference. Um, uh, so he's finding like these young heroes and he's trying to groom Spider-Man to be this hero. And it's be- a beautiful relationship. I love, I love that he struggles with it. It's so good. Yes. They fit together so nicely. Uh, Tony mm-hmm. doesn't have children and Peter mm-hmm. doesn't have a father figure anymore. So yeah, it could not be a more perfect fit. And like James from RebelScom podcast, on the other hand, he's not a fan of the fact that Iron Man's in this movie. Like he he wanted more of like just Spider Man on his own because mm-hmm. you know he said Spider Man and it's true he says Spider Man stands well enough on his own he doesn't need this uh, but I think that I think that if you had told me beforehand like it's going to be a Spider Man movie but Iron Man's going to be in it I would have agreed with James I would have been like there's so much to Spider Man we don't need that but having seen Homecoming now I think it's handled so well and like when Tony finally does show up in person it's a big serious deal. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I agree. I agree with James. I, I could see, I could see how we all could think that like we, do, he doesn't need Iron Man. I agree. He doesn't. But first of all, again, as someone, someone who loves the civil war series to include that story arc of him mentoring Peter is fantastic. And because we don't see, uh, we don't see, the whole relationship of him with uncle ben it's nice to see that we're still getting that ideology through him teaching you know consequence yes and and great power because they don't they don't say it they don't say the line but they show you it they show you that he has to learn that he has this great power and not to just recklessly do like use it right which is 
beautifully illustrated and great transition into the boat scene. Um, and not a fairy yeah. for the win. Yeah, which is a great sequence. So like he uh he tries to um uh, or sorry, are are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Oof, that's like three quarters in the movie. Sorry, but great transition though. Great transition though. Uh cuz he goes to find out he needs to find out where these guys are, find out where the lair is, all that stuff. Um and I love that he uses the spider tracer. No, acknowledgement to the lore, man. When have you seen a spider tracer in the movie? When? I always remember when? the cartoon when he sticks it on Rhino's ankle and follows him around. <laughs> yeah, after Rhino like steps on. <laughs> we'll finish this some other time. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, but yeah, and I love the spider tracer. I again, beautiful how it works. Uh, and he tries to hunt them down. Uh, I love the Washington Monument rescue. Oh my uh, god! Oh, that's right. That does come before the ferry. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes before the ferry. The mon- he he hacks the suit, which we find out now. This was always a little awkward for me that he has like a voice that speaks in his head. Um, but he, but it it kind of reminds me of the spider armor he gets in the Ultimate Comics because he does get access to a Jarvis essentially. Yeah. Um, and so I I do get it. And it works, but I again I was kind of like, eh. Uh, but again, I love that there's a drone built into his suit. I thought that was I think that again in Spider-Man in today's world, he wouldn't just have the spider trackers. He would he would have a reconnaissance drone. I think that would make sense He's to me. He's a scientist too. He's gonna have yeah. toys. Yeah, exactly. He's a scientist who built his own web shooter. So eventually he's gonna have other methods uh that will help him. So so I love the Washington Monument Rescue. And again, I love MJ. A beautiful nod to how how MJ uh, has such a cultural understanding and awareness uh, and education. Uh, and she's just like, uh, I'm just going to, she's going to read her book. Again, something MJ would be doing mm-hmm. is definitely uh, being a bookworm. They made her uh, a great, like, like a puck-like figure who just, like you said, she's she's aware of everything. But she's just mm-hmm. so happy observing, and yes. she's she's fascinating in that she's always just sort of standing stage right, and they the movie never lets you forget she exists. Exactly, but like she's a, she's a, she's a she's an artistic genius mm-hmm. is is the best way to say it because she's always observing life and then she captures it. And I love, we see it later on when they're in detention, she's just drawing people and sadness and all this stuff. Like, but that's, she's like anything art related. She just like, she's super talented, like incredibly talented, but she, as an artistic genius, she's absorbed. She absorbs everything. And I love that even at the monument, she's like, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, go into something that was built by slaves. Like, (laughs) smallest piece of dialogue but it speaks volumes of her character and how relevant her character is um as some as as peter is scientifically genius she is artistically genius and she just gets everything yeah she's she's on top of that she's not like she's she's so tuned into the world and she's so you know like she she knows these things but she's not a killjoy either like one of the funniest moments is when he walks into the homecoming dance and Ned waves at him and she waves and then flips him the bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like little things like that. It's uh 
man i could yeah i could just i could gush about all these modernizations of the of of mj um but yeah i love that and the rescue sequence is so much fun and i love that uh you know spider-man doesn't want to reveal his identity but he's like uh hey uh how you doing (laughs) it's on the new york accent um but i love also again little nods that the director does he goes into the truck and he finds like the Ultron helmet. He finds uh, the arc reactor stuff and the alien, alien stuff uh, there as well. Uh, so I'm kind of all over the place with that sequence, but I love that and I love Liz uh, again. A modernization character, a great modernization of the character, um, whereas she is very popular in in the comics, but they kind of play her off as just like a valley girl. This Liz Allen transformed is a is someone who loves being a leader and and what it takes to be a leader and and that's why again small piece of dialogue uh a rebellious uh a rebellious activity is great for morale like that speaks volumes to her understanding of of you know her world and and how she influences people and i love that because she because you could simply write her off as a valley girl character but as someone, as she is someone who's a very popular character, she recognizes that she's like leader, and therefore, you know, you see her exercising that in the in the movie. Um, but yeah, so, anyways, the Washington Monument rescue sequence, love it to death, um, and I love that they kind of do the nod to the upside down kiss sequence, where he's like, "Tell her, tell her, tell her, <laughs> kiss her." That was uh, oh, that's so funny, and I love how. After, like this is the fifth Spider-Man movie I've watched. Uh, mm-hmm. We've already watched a whole half a movie where he's swinging through New York, and yet still, the Washington Monument scene managed to give me vertigo. Yeah, like they made it. They they were there was like heights are still scary, even though he's Spider-Man. Don't believe us? Mm-hmm. Look, and and I looked, and yes, sure enough, I was afraid, and I peed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it too because again, it still shows the growing that he does as a hero. Like, um, like I love that he's never been he's he swings through the city all the time, but he's never been as high as the Washington Monument. And he and he takes that moment and he's looking down and hesitating, and 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 then the sacrifice he makes to save his friends, which is he jumps over the copter, which is awesome, uh, and then swings in through the window. Mm-hmm. great sequence i couldn't agree with you more it's but it's amazing how they build pressure for but not only for the character but for you the viewers as well and if uh if you guys have watched hamilton then you know that eliza hamilton raised funds to build the washington monument so it's her fault that it's that high <laughs> and has shoddy workmanship in the elevator yeah there you go so so now we could get to the boat boat sequence uh, which is pretty much like this film's version of the subway from spider-man 2 yeah yeah absolutely and so um so i love this sequence because yes we get you get the introduction of of mac gargan uh aka the scorpion which again just the director is so good at nods just like <laughs> just just showing you that like look he's playing with the full deck but he is letting you. He is he is letting you know uh, that things are coming and not to worry about it right now. But 
things are coming. And can you believe we've had this many Spider-Man movies, including Far From Home and Spider-Verse, and we've still never seen Scorpion? Isn't that strange? Uh, it blows my mind. And again, it's like there are so many characters that should be we should have seen by now. And definitely Scorpion and Vulture are one of them, and they're both put in one movie. Yeah. But like, and like he's easier to do than Craven. Like you said, Craven takes some setup. Craven requires like a big story. Scorpion mm-hmm. can be a little bit easier. He he's he's not a last boss kind of villain. He's more of a yeah. second boss kind of villain. So throwing him in wouldn't require as much effort as throwing in somebody like a Craven or even a Goblin. Um, but the the fact that we have still have not seen the Scorpion suit in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, that is, oh, it's so true though. That's so crazy. Oh my God. Yes. It's, oh, it's crazy. But, but again, here we are. And, and with Matt Gargan too, the cartoon did a brilliant way of introducing this character as well, where it's like, he's just a low, low grade worthless character mm-hmm. that's shoved into falling around Peter. Cause you know, J Jonah Jameson wants to know how he did it. How, how does he get these pictures of spider Spider-Man and all this stuff? Um, and then you transform him into the scorpion and it's so good. It's so good. And this, this one does it the same way. He's just a low grade thug. who's buying weapons. That's all he is to us at this point as people who, as, as the audience who doesn't know anything about the comics, but all we know, all we know is we have a name and he's buying guns. That's it. But, and what they've, the little snippet they've given us of, of Matt Gargan though, he's already, I, I think scarier than Scorpion's ever been. And he doesn't even have the suit. Exactly. Yes. He is a twisted, twisted individual. And what's crazy about it is um what's crazy about it is uh first of all i love that even they they'll nod again another nod is he has the tattoo the scorpion tattoo yeah um but yeah the the presence that this actor gives him i love this actor oh my god he was locked in far cry 3 yes that's right he was in far cry 3 and i want to talk about that for a second because i want to demonstrate how amazing this guy this actor is so uh, first of all, as as we all always know, is that my uh, my actor names, my recalling of actor names are terrible. Um, I don't remember what his is name the... either, so I can't help you. Here. <laughs> no. There we go. His name's Boss. Scorpio. Scorpi Macman. Mm-hmm. So he's been in. He's been in so much. He's been in uh, Better Call Saul. He's been in. He's been in. Uh, he's been in Orphan Black. He's been in. Um, uh, he's been in uh, Far Cry Three. So. Far Cry 3 is actually a pretty interesting story. So apparently he auditioned for the role of the villain, I think, the the main villain. Mm-hmm. Um they actually turned him down. <gasps> they said they said no. To a and the reason they said no is because they were so impressed with his audition like that that he totally blew them away that they needed to write a character to put in the story with him wow they restructured the entire game 
to put him in it because his acting is that good. That must have been some restructure because he's like on the cover of the box. Like he's the face of that game. Yeah. Like I would argue that is one of the most frightening and memorable video game villains of all time. Yeah. And it and and it's just again, he I can't wait to see what they're gonna do with him as Mac Gargan. Because again, this character doesn't this character can be a very simple character, can be easily be a very simple character. But already we are getting this like under our skin feeling with with how nuts this guy is. And again, talk about the actors reacting to him. Um, I love how Shocker is already like, man, I don't like this guy. Like yeah. he, he already knows he's he's off his edge. You know? Oh, so good. <laughs> Mac oh, Gargan. I'm I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he's Mac Gargan. I, I wanna I wanna talk to you about the color yellow for a minute. Uh, yes. Particularly a very bright cheddar cheese yellow. Um, because that color popped up so much in this movie. And every time it did, it was super vibrant. Uh, I noticed it you know, on Spider-Man's jacket. Uh, yeah. The whole ferry, this whole boat is yellow. Uh, yeah. School buses when he's fighting Shocker. The boxes that the vulture steals. And the logo of the movie itself. The word Spider-Man in the logo. And I, I just thought this was really funny. Because I have this little personal story about the very first Spider-Man movie, the Sam Raimi part one. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Ryan, but back in those days, when you go to, to buy a DVD, there's always two different versions. There's the full screen and the widescreen. That was the thing back then. You remember that? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's so true, actually. Holy crap. Back then, not everybody had like flat screen TVs yet. There were still mm-hmm. two TVs around. So like, if you bought a widescreen movie would not look good on an old TV. So to compensate for this, every DVD would come, there'd be two different packages. You can buy one that's widescreen if you have a newer TV or flat screen if you have an older one. And Mm -hmm. I had a wider screen, so I would always buy widescreen. And I noticed that it felt like they were trying to like edge people, like pressure people into buying new TVs because I remember noticing this trend where flat screen dvds were always slightly uglier box art than widescreen dvds it it was usually just something as simple as a banner like for example um the the star wars prequels uh they had like a banner on top that said like i think like it just said either widescreen or flat screen and the widescreen one was gold and it matched like the logo. So it all looked, it all fit. It was a big gold banner at the top that just said widescreen. If you bought the flat screen version, it was like light blue instead. The logo was still gold. So now you have this banner that doesn't match and it looks wrong. Uh, and, and the flat screen DVDs were all like that. And when I went to go get Spider-Man, the first movie, um, actually, no, somebody got it for me. That's right. It was a gift. Somebody bought me Spider-Man one on DVD as a gift, but they didn't know, you know, DVDs, whatever. So they bought me the flat screen version. And I remember going in the store to see them and the, the widescreen spine of the DVD, that's a Spider-Man on it. So the the thing you see the most when you're looking at it on the shelf was bright red because that's, that's Spider-Man, right? makes perfect sense. The Mm -hmm. flat screen one was cheddar cheese yellow. What? And I remember laughing with my cousin 
because he like he had the same thing like he bought a lot of dvds so he and i would laugh at like the same thing and i remember showing it to him i'm like look at this i i went to the walmart with him so i could take back the flat screen one and exchange it for a widescreen one and we were looking at it we're just laughing and he's like yeah if there's any color i think of when i think of spider-man it's cheddar cheese yellow that, that was, <laughs> what a what a smart choice to put on the dvd we we just we yeah. made a big laugh about it and lo and behold here comes this movie that's full like i think of that color now when i think of spider-man homecoming isn't that crazy that is so crazy but it's also so true how much yellow is in this movie and like yellow is not an easy color to just like throw into anything no it is not that's such a weird thing oh my god (laughs) so congratulations sony you made me you made cheddar cheese yellow actually be a thing that I I, I uh, mentally coincide with mm-hmm. Spider Man. So you got me. It took you wow. years, but you got me. You got me there. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I love that. So let's bring it back. Let's let's bring it back. And yeah. So lots of yellow here. But I want to talk about this boat sequence because this boat sequence literally sums up to with great power comes great responsibility. Heck yes. And that's that whole scene. That's what it is. Um, and it's so good. They don't. They don't even say the line. They don't even say the line. The whole sequence spells it out for you. And it's so good. It's so good that I love the confrontation with Tony. I love it. And I love it. He's like, if you cared you would be here right now. And he comes out of the suit and he was, Oh man, just the feels, all the feels. It's so good. I can't even, I can't even go much further than saying that. And I, what I will end up end with saying is, is again, what the line at the end of the line that he goes, it doesn't work. Give me back the suit. Yeah. And he says, I'm nothing without the suit. And he says, which translates to great power comes great responsibility. If you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Line. Beautiful. Line. And it's a very powerful scene. I'm going to agree with you 99% though. Uh, oh, what's the one? Is it because the guy was clapping and then it caused the whole ship to break? No, no. I think that, I got, yes, Spider-Man! That, I got no beef with that guy. He's cool. I just think it, it wouldn't have killed Happy or Tony to just text Peter and say, cool. Thanks for telling us about Vulture. We got the FBI on it. Like I wouldn't have just killed them to send that text instead of ghosting him. Because they wouldn't know because they wouldn't believe him. But then you wouldn't believe then him. Tony's like, yeah, we had, we, we had Tony, to Tony said, deal. Tony said in the rescue sequence with the Vulture, he's like, we have people who can handle this. And he says the Avengers and he goes, no, that's a little below their pay grade. Yeah. So he tells him legit. Yes, he didn't spell it out for him. He didn't like text him, be like, "Yo, we're sending in the FBI." And and by the way, as far as they knew, he was in school because he lied to him. Remember? Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like he, <laughs> Spider Man did not make the wisest choices. But I think all they need to do is be like, "We got the FBI on it." That. But why, if they trusted him to be in school? <laughs> Oh, there you go. Uh, so yeah, your one percent is flawed. Oh. 
no, no, you're totally entitled. And that does that you do bring up a good point. If they were truly caring about Peter, then they should have been like, Hey man, we hear you and we called in the FBI. Yes, yeah. they could have done that, but they didn't go the distance on there. In my opinion, it's because they trusted him and they thought he was in school. And so yada yada yada. Um so so the other thing about the sequence uh, is, first of all, he goes home, tries to get back into his regular life. Uh, the, again, the whole movie is about great power comes great responsibility because he was about to like leave high school and just be like, yo, I'm going to go out and just do my thing because I'm going to be with the Avengers. I don't care. Like he was about to leave school. I love the teacher because he's one of the Howling Commandos, um, but he actually has a picture of him as one of the Howling Commandos. So it's grandpa runs the mid-tech school or his grandpa the, the principal's grandpa who runs mid-tech school uh wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute. oh, oh the, the principal yeah he's he's the actor who played um the the howling commando guy Commando. yes okay i was gonna say wait like he's yeah. i thought you meant he's no, the no, no 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 he's not still alive his he's so the character is the grandson of the howling commando gotcha okay so yeah, or or the maybe the son, I don't know, but I'm gonna say grandson. Something yeah. Marita. Uh, yeah, something Marita, uh, and uh, I think it's John Marita. Um, so we get that in a little nod, and then so he's getting back into his regular day life, uh, and then he asks Liz Allen out to prom, and then we get the crazy, crazy, amazing sequence of um, of uh, of the 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 reveal of the vulture. So good. my theater lost their minds. It was I I can't tell you the electricity that passed through that room when Michael Keaton opened that door. And then it became a whole different movie. And oh I can't I can't gush enough about this whole getting ready for the dance and in the car, this whole sequence just yeah. uh, yeah no i I will tell you um i will tell you in my theater there was an unsettling silence when when he when when peter first meets him and it's it's it was just like just you could just feel the investment in the room of that story it is oh so good and again i i didn't mind it i thought it was brilliant I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, the seeds were planted. He he said in the first in the prologue, he's like, "I got a kid." She drew this. Um, I was sitting next to our buddy Tiago um, in the movie, and he he Tiago literally made the whole theater laugh because like everybody was stunned in silence when Michael Keaton opens the door, and everybody's like freaking out, like, oh, "Like what's what's going on?" And then all you hear is Tiago right next to me call out, "But he's white." <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah uh gotta love a good theater call out every once in a while I, i'll never forget when we all saw um i want to say it's called forbidden kingdom oh yeah the jet lee movie uh, yeah the jet lee jackie chan movie and then one of our friends kaz he's like, <laughs> the girl leaves and he's like where are you going <laughs> Come back. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> oh man. So good. So so yeah, so um so the reveal is, is incredible. And I love that uh 
I love how weird Michael Keaton takes it in the car. Like he's like, sure, grateful your pal Spider Man. Like, Spider Man. Yeah, he turns into like Jim Carrey for a second. <laughs> yeah, he gets real cable guy about the whole thing, but I love it. I, I just eat it all up. Um and uh and I just yeah, and I love the the traffic light thing. Because the second he realizes it's Spider-Man, it's like, it's on. Like, it's yeah. Spider-Man versus the Vulture, and the light is green oh. over his face. And, like, Liz's performance, like, Liz is just sitting, she's oblivious, she's on her phone, and she's like, Dad, don't grill him. Like, she's so calm, and in the in this sea of, of tension that's brewing inside this car, Liz is just like, Dad, quit, quit embarrassing me. Uh, the piece is all move in synchronization to the point where this might be my favorite MCU scene of all time. I don't know. Why. Oh, wow. You uh. went the distance. This, this is just, this is just evidence of how good the fantastic four movie is going to be yeah. like that director. Oh my God. Oh, so good. Um, so, which is so fun fact too. I'm, I'm surprised Peyton Reed did not get the director role for Fantastic Four, considering he originally pitched a Fantastic Four movie to Ooh. Fox. But I, again, I think Peyton Reed's got a lot of work ahead of him with Ant Man and the Wasp and Quantum Mania, so uh, he's his hands are truly tied. But that doesn't mean he can't help John Watts along the way. He's got uh, the prom- the season finale of Mandalorian, which airs tomorrow. That he he directed that. Oh, that's right, he did that too. I but. Okay, I'm not, I am not mad at all, and I love seeing this. I love seeing Marvel and Disney and Star Wars just all working together. Like I love seeing, you know, directors on from Marvel on Star Wars projects and you know influencing all each other. It's funny because Taika is a big Star Wars fan, and when he did Thor, he did a hilarious skit about he's like, "I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, I didn't get uh, Star Wars. I got Thor." Oh my God, your Taika is great. He's we like, do a whole podcast where you're Taika and I'm Stan Lee and we just talk about movies. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly, right? And he's like, he's like, you know, your son's still famous. Like he does the whole thing. But the joke, the running joke is, is he actually loves Star Wars and never got to direct a Star Wars uh project until now. Ooh. Right? So he got he got the Mandalorian and now he's doing a whole different project as well. So I'm very excited to see that. Um, but yeah, so uh so that scene is, yeah, you're right. It's just magic. And even Liz plays, and you're right. It can't, you can't go without saying that Liz plays an incredible role within that tension. Like the tension those two bring to that, that car. And she, though you could like, again, you could look at it like, oh yeah, she does a good job playing on her phone or whatever, but she's playing the role of cutting the, trying to cut the tension yeah and it doesn't work it doesn't work at all um and again i love that he drives up and he's and again i i'm always skeptical of hero like hero's identities being revealed i'm like you know like i think it's because like in the silver age of comics you know characters were more aloof to what was going on um And, and so, you know, that's why like Spider-Man was able to get away with taking pictures of Spider-Man, blah, 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 blah. But I like, I kind of like the genuine nature of how he figured it out because it makes sense, right? Like he wasn't there 
at the Washington Monument. And if he wasn't with his class, what was he doing? Exactly. And I'm sure, you know, Liz, one night at dinner, you know, they're like, oh, honey, how was your trip to Washington? I'm sure Liz is like, guys, I don't want to talk about it. We almost died. Like uh, Peter just ran off and disappeared. He, he ditched on the team. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Adrian is sitting there thinking, Peter ditched on the team. And Spider-Man also happened to show up in Washington, D.C. when I was there and tried to stop me. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. And also, she's a, he's a friend of Peter's, and Peter wasn't at the house party either. Yeah. Right? Like, like the math adds up perfectly. And, and so the whole school final battle sequence is amazing. And, and uh, so, first of all, we find out that the, the, that the Avengers Tower is being sold. And uh, so everyone, everyone back then, everyone now is still escalating to the idea that it's clearly the Fantastic Four's Baxter building. It's going to happen. Okay. Everyone, everyone's putting, like, if I were a betting man, I'd say that money, that money pot for the, 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 the building becoming the Baxter building is quite stacked right now. It's, it's pretty high. Because and like, there's so many theories in terms of storytelling. People are like, "Oh, Reed Richards is there in the MIT school thing where everyone's funding got approved, so his funding got approved, so he bought the Baxter Building with the money." Like, I'm like, I don't know. Come on, like that's perfect. If it again, it fits. It weaves it into the story in the right way, just like with Peter being an Iron Man too. I want it. I want it. I I want it to believe that. But at the same time, I feel like there's probably a better way. But in terms of lore and MCU, you're not wrong. I that's definitely a very feasible story I, that I could believe. If you if you do it the way you did Mysterio, sign me up. Like if you can if you can somehow tell it like I, Mysterio. I, I prefer our earlier idea of like them being in the '60s and then they time travel to the future because that yeah. Is- that's yeah. more like Fantastic Four to me. Yeah, um, yeah, that could work. I think I, I heavily bet, I heavily bet that's going to be the future foundation. I, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely a betting man on that one. But um, yeah, so I love that whole sequence. But anyway, so the Baxter Building is sold off. Happy Hogan gets his, gets his uh, job of asset manager. Um, and we get some wonderful comic book nods there as well. We get reference to Thor's magic belt, which I can't even pronounce. Uh, the it's like the mega the megaton megaton belt, something like that. Uh, and then uh, talks about Cap's new uh, Cap's new thing and uh, the Hulkbuster unit. All the lovely little Easter eggs are in that whole plane. Yeah, so the the battle is amazing. So. I love the the prom sequence when he leaves. That's classic Parker yes. bailing, uh, classic Parker bailing on a on a moment where he finally gets to hook up with his crush, and he has to leave, make those social sacrifices. Uh, Ned gets to be the guy in the chair, which is pretty cool. A nice little nod there. Uh, just just overall them being buddy buddy, and he gets and to take out the shocker. He gets to take out the shocker, and I love. And again, Shocker gets a beautiful spotlight moment. Just we get to see him fully in action, just throwing out those punches. Um, uh, so, so yeah, we just see a great fight scene there. Um, and I love, love, love when Spider-Man catches up with Vulture, and uh, and then he talks about grit. He talks about it. Got to hand it to you. 
you know, uh, and talks about how they're different uh, than what Tony is. And like, you know, we're just picking up the scraps like a vulture, picking up the scraps. Mm -hmm. like um, so, uh, and he talks about how stealing is wrong, finally comes to realization of responsibility and everything. Um, and, uh, and what I love about this scene is this is a classic reference uh, yes, to to a comic book story uh, that we get where he is uh, amazing Spider-Man 33, where he is uh, just completely under a building essentially. Um, and it's a moment uh, it's a moment uh, where he has to really just go very introspective and realize, realize that there's nobody to turn to, but himself and just really, demonstrate his inner strength both physically but also emotionally uh i and i will tell you that in my theater um in my theater the silence you could you could hear the silence during that that scene where tom holland just kills it literally kills it and is just screaming and just like freaking out like you could feel it in the theater Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I like I didn't I haven't read too many Spider-Man comics in my day, but that's one I was familiar with just from getting to know, you know, like I have a book about the Spider-Man lore. And that's obviously a big part of it is that thing getting trapped. And I think that was one of Stan Lee's favorite stories, too. Mm -hmm. It's all about the perseverance and the hope like he really can do anything. He just has to believe in himself, put his mind to it. Uh, and so once that ceiling fell on him and I saw that they were doing that, I got just so happy. And, and, and like, I, I was like, Oh, we're getting this moment. We're finally getting this moment. And they did it. One, like even, I don't know if this part is from the comic, but when he looks in the puddle and his mask is there and it lines up right with his face. Like, yep. That, that was in the comic. Oh my God. Is that ever good? <laughs> It's it's all there, man. It's it's all there. Um, it's it's just a moment, and it actually yes, that is a moment, and it's actually supposed to be uh, the half face thing is actually a nod to the spider sense. Um, yes, is is it's where you kind of see it. Um, it's but yes, it has happened in the water. Uh, but it's yeah, that water sequence is is literally a frame of of what the comic book's referencing is. Um, and it's it's incredible to watch him do it and just yeah my in my theater every like you can feel it's rare when you can feel the audience investment in the movie but at this point you could just feel it in the room and hearing him scream and everything was like oh just just pure acting gold and you know don't get me wrong toby mcguire was a great spider-man but it was a great spider-man for a different audience it's it wasn't I don't think it translated as well as Tom Holland's did uh, Tom Holland's performance did because I think Tobey Maguire's was very much based on the sixties, which caused a unrelatable disconnect uh, with some people. There are moments that we all share and love, but I think this Peter Parker, there's a lot that is, that is there that connects us with it, with this character. Um, and the whole fight scene with Vulture is fun. It's like you said, it's gritty and like what he does with the wings, cutting the web and the, the whole nine yard. Um, and when Vulture is, takes his mask off, it looks a lot like 
what happens when Kylo Ren takes his mask off. Like yeah. it goes and then he pulls it off. Yeah, it's 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 really just uh oh man, I love it. It's just really awesome. And then so the fight scenes the fight scene's great and I love how happy happy visit, visits him in uh visits him in the school. And I think that kid, that kid turns out to be the uh the one of the one of the principal characters in the the second one. Yeah, because uh, I was looking at him and I'm like, because I've only seen Far From Home once, so I'm fuzzy on the details. But I, when that kid walked out of the stall, I was like, I know you. Who are you? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the the, the chess club kid. I think that's the kid. Uh, I think his name's Harry. Um, Harry. Yeah. Oz... No, no, not that Harry. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not disappointed. Um, I've no. had, I feel of Harry Osborn. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, so... I love that fight scene and, and I love that, you know, the, the dialogue with happy and it's such a nice nod again, great power. Um, the shirt Peter is wearing actually is the same shirt that pepper wears, uh, not the exact same one, but a shirt similar design to the one pepper wears, uh, in Iron Man three. Really? Yeah. The, the pro I'm a proton. I'm an electron or whatever. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's the same shirt. She wears in Iron Man three. That's very cool. I did not, I didn't remember that shirt at all. Mm -hmm. So we get the scene, we we almost get the Civil War scene where Tony announces the newest Avenger, but also, you know, that Spider-Man or Peter Parker reveals he's Spider-Man. Um, but they deny it, which is awesome, uh, which is great to see. Uh, and there's a shot where the, the camera pans up from Peter and focuses on the Avengers logo, which is above his head. And the camera stops in such a precarious position because it almost looks like a giant four above Ooh. his head. Now, again, everyone commented and speculated. Uh, and there were times when it was extremely doubtful. But even either way, it's, I don't think it's a lot to look at. Like, you don't need to look into it too much. It's just a uh, it's just a fun, fun nod uh, to the Fantastic Four. And it, it's funny that you bring this up because I have a big note that I want to talk about that involves this same scene that also involves panning up to a logo, but it has nothing to do with this. I didn't even catch this thing that you mentioned. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I love that the suit Peter turns down, yeah. that iron spider suit or whatever that is, that suit spider is. Spider armor. Spider armor. I love that it looks wrong. You know, it doesn't look, quite like spider-man um mm. the colors are a bit off with the logo's a bit off everything and i love that that's the suit he turns down and then later when he's in his apartment right at the end and he gets the the real suit again the classic blue and red suit from tony and he puts it on the camera pans from his feet up and the music starts to play and the music hits its sort of crescendo as soon as we get to the logo in the middle of his chest, as if to say, like, this is the real suit. This is Spider-Man. Ah, yes. That's, ah, that's interesting that you picked that up. It, it was a perfect little, just under-the-radar, subtle cue that, that that road of putting on that fancy suit and going to the reporters, um, that's a cool nod to the comics, and it's a cool way to make him an Avenger, but it's not mm. quite Spider-Man, and the movie understands that. Yeah, no, it's true. I yeah, the movie, 
the movie's very self-aware <laughs> when you after you after we listen to this whole podcast i think that's what we've established the movie oh, is very okay. self-aware of what it's doing um even even to the point where i i also love the fact that mj ends up at the end we finally get the nod that it is her um you know uh, yeah. people call me mj uh and then uh yeah i it's, it's just such a beautiful closing scene uh, and again, we also get another hero reveal moment um, where where he puts on the suit again and he takes off the mask and then Aunt May finds out right out of the gate. Uh, which again, I was really shocked that we kind of skipped past that. But at the point, at this point, I think it's again, I think the whole, and, and a lot of comic books kind of joke about it now, the whole superhero identity thing. Uh, ever since the movie Iron Man, it's it's kind of like why? Yeah, it's, why? it's not the big deal that mm-hmm. it used to be. I I love this, and I mean, like I said before, Aunt May is one of my favorite Marvel characters. So I mm-hmm. love that it, there's been pretty much one f bomb in the MCU, and they gave it to her. Like, yeah. <laughs> I I think that's so like, and if you time traveled and told eight year old Andrew. This thing is going to exist, and Aunt May is going to drop an f bomb. Like, I would have been so happy. You, I, I can't, I can't stress enough how happy it makes me that Aunt May is the one who says that line. Oh man, yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I, there's, it's, I mean, if you went back in time and told me that there was going to be a Spider-Man movie before any Spider-Man movie, I would have laughed at you just because of how hard it is to do it. <laughs> Um, but I mean, this, I think this, this, this is the, this is a Spider-Man that got it right. Uh, Tom, uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was great. Um, even, even Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield had some moments, but this is the one that got it right. This is, it, it literally understood, it understood the mm-hmm. rules of making a comic book movie, which is simply put, you respect the lore it came from. And make sure that if you're going to change something, you have to provide a reason for it. Yes. And I think that, I think that Sam Raimi's movies were, they were bright and they were fun, but they lived very much, like you said, Ryan, in the world of the sixties, they lived in the classic golden age of Mm Spider-Man. And the sixties always comes with a, a fine layer of cheese and mm-hmm. they made no attempt to scrape off some of that cheese. So I understand how a lot of people in the early 2000s were like, well, these movies are lame, man. What's going on here? Like it, it was, it lived completely in its own innocent bubble. Uh, and you just had to kind of accept it for what it was. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't enjoy that, then yeah, you're not going to love those movies. Then Amazing Spider-Man comes along and just tries to be all about the fads. What's big now? Dark and gritty. Okay, what else? Uh, 3D. All right, it's going to be a dark, gritty Spider-Man movie in 3D. And yeah. that, that's there when you try to follow what's popular. Look what happens. So and, and yeah, yeah, no, I could agree more. Sorry, keep going. I'll, I'll I'll add something to that. Well, just basically like this. Now we we hit the sweet spot. Like you said, we know yeah. what works. We know what to keep. We know what to change. We understand that Spider-Man has always been one of the funniest superheroes, and this is one of the funniest comedies, I would say, of the decade. 
So yeah, yeah, and I will say that this Spider-Man. I love how you said that because yes, we still got a very campy, fun Spider-Man. But when things get serious, they get real, Ooh. and that's and that's really awesome to see. I'll never forget when the guy who rebooted the Fantastic Four, the director, did that. I'll never forget an article I read, and I knew it was like this was like signed, sealed, and delivered that this was going to be bad. Like I knew this was like it was over for Fantastic Four. <laughs> He said, I, he's like, I've been watching superhero movies and I think the best way to do the Fantastic Four is to make it real and make it grounded. And I'm like, and, and also dark. And I hate the word dark because I don't, I don't know why you use the word dark. What does dark mean? And, and I'm like, and those are the three things you should never do with the Fantastic Four. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, the first Fantastic Four was really b-movie campiness that was way too colorful for a story that wanted to take itself very seriously um but but the the reboot the three things you should never ever do with it with the fantastic four or even with most marvel movies is make them dark real and 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 uh Oh my god, I've already lost it. Gritty. <laughs> gritty, yeah. yeah. Like dark, real and gritty. Because like that's not that's not how you do it. it. Like, first of all, don't say dark because that means that the whole movie is gonna be these nasty dark tones that I'm not gonna love. Like Fantastic Four are bright blue, colorful, like like what we saw in Guardians after just listening to our uh our podcast about Guardians of the Galaxy, is like these aliens are like bright pinks purples you know yellows greens blues like like if you're going to do a fantastic four movie you have to give them these incredibly blue suits um and yes they they may have tragic things about them but that doesn't mean the movie's dark it means that they have a tragic story that you need to make real but at the same time you know they have to bring a lot of color they have to have a reason to live like even Batman is a tragic story, but he needs to live. Like he understands his role and everything. So uh, I just, I'll, I'll never forget that article when he's like, oh, with my Fantastic Four movie, it's going to be dark, real and gritty. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because this, this Spider-Man movie, Spider movie was perfect. It was, it, yeah. it, it did when it was, when it needed to break tension, the comedy was hilarious. I was to a point where I busted my gut laughing because it was so good. Oh. If you ever want to make good money, you should challenge the Fantastic Four director to a game of darts because clearly he doesn't know how to hit the mark. Oh. Uh, that, yeah, I, I still have yet to see that Fantastic Four reboot because you're right. It, it feels to me like it's that franchise was falling into the same trap that Spider-Man did where in the early 2000s, they made these ones that are like fun, but they are too much of the sixties cheese to take too seriously. Like they mm -hmm. forgot to be good. They were just trying to be classic and they lost, you know, the specialness of it. They lost the magic. And then along comes a reboot where it's like, now we're going to be dark and edgy. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even bother with it. So third mm -hmm. time charm with them too, I guess. Um, are you ready to play a game, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> You make it sound like the guy from Saw. Would you like to play a game? Oh, uh, hello, yes. hello, Ryan. You, you want to play a game? I've yes. Written, I've written the key inside your intestine, Ryan. Oh, my God. Uh, no, I haven't done anything like that. I want to play Never Tell Me the Odds, 
with mm-hmm. you. Uh, if you don't know how this works, folks at home, never tell me the odds is a game we play on Rebel Scum Podcast, where I uh, present a statement and Ryan has to tell me the percentage, the odds of that statement being true. So Ryan, tell me the odds. Yeah. The odds we will see Liz Allen again. <sighs> oh, you really thought hard on this question. Uh, I think the odds are actually going to be pretty high. I think there's an 80% chance that we'll see, you know, I'll say 81 because then it's an odd number. 81% chance that we'll see Liz Allen again. Where do you think she fits? Where would you put her? If it was up to you. I believe that I the way, okay, if I'm going to kind of fortune do a madam web thing and like fortune tell here um i think that during spider-man 3 with this whole world turned upside down kind of thing i think that at one of his lowest points or no if the daredevil rumor is true then she's going to be a character witness and explain why he's he's a good man oh my god i love that I, if if I were if I were to predict and and or if I were to predict and or write the movie, that's how I would do it, because she she is one of the most critical elements of his character. That that's you you knocked mine out of the park. Like I was just thinking maybe like forty percent, and I was thinking maybe she has a small cameo in like Morbius two. Because we know Vulture is going to be in that, yeah. um, but I like this so much more, and it makes a whole lot more sense. Like she, she interacts way more with Peter than she does with her father, so yeah. it makes sense to bring her back in a Peter story, not in a Tombs story. I, I, I think it makes sense because she talks because she talked to him about leadership. Yes, and and she and also, um, and also she was talking about him trying to sort out something at the end. She's like, I don't know what's going on with you, but I hope you figure it out. And so now if, if the Mysterio news got to Liz, then she would know that he's Spider-Man, which means that he was the one that saved her at the Washington monument. Right. And, wow. and, and it would all tie in like a bow but this is solely based solely based on the fact that it's solely based on the rumor that daredevil's in spider-man 3 well that and like you bring up a good point the world knows who he is now yes so so here's here's the other interesting layer to this whole thing um I find the coincidence of timing here for Infinity Rewatch um, and and also uh, Kevin Feige's uh, beautiful, I need to watch it again, actually, the presentation uh, of the Disney Investor presentation, uh, because speaking of the Spider-Man film and speaking of like good storytelling and which Marvel has done and not only this movie has done in terms of trying to tie everything into the timeline, Think about it this way. Kevin Feige said, and I quote, um, Ryan not gonna... <laughs> Yes, Ryan is my uh, long lost 
nephew and I will give him the Marvel Empire. No. I heard uh, that. That's on record. I heard him say that, Kevin. You can't back out of this now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he said, and I quote uh, for She-Hulk, that she is a lawyer and you never know who she might come across in the courts. Yeah. So my money and, and this is my dream storytelling. And again, if I were those writers with Kevin Feige, this is how I would do it. If Daredevil is in it, there's going to be the, there would be a scene where it's the people versus Spider-Man because oh. he, because it's all about him being a murderer uh, and he's on trial for murder of Mysterio. And, and they will need a character witness and Matt Murdock will be the defense because in Daredevil, the show, he does a lot of, um, does a lot of uh pro bono cases yeah uh and and he will do spider-man's case because there's no reason why jay jonah would foot his bill and which is happens in the cartoon um and so i think this will be pre she hulk jennifer walters and she will be the prosecution oh my god and that's how i would write it so that that will probably be the best never tell me the odds response I will ever come up with. It was. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan J. Whitehead. <laughs> wow. We we the jury have made the verdict that that answer was spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Uh okay, so let me flip one on you. Um uh, in terms of percentage. Tell tell me the odds that Scorpion will have a very big role. Oh God, he better. Um, <laughs> that's there's a big question I have for you that I'm going to save for when we talk about Far From Home, um, but it's going to affect my answer to this. I am going Ooh. to say sixty percent chance Scorpion. Let me rephrase this. 90% chance Scorpion shows up. 60% chance he has a big role. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll, I'll elaborate that. on that when we talk about Far From Home. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so now it's time to rate this movie. Home, homecoming. How do we rate on a scale of let's one not, stone? Let's, not, let's just not lie to ourselves. Are we giving it one stone? I think we are, because I mean, it's kind of bad. There's nothing good happens in it. I didn't like any of the characters. I saw the vulture reveal coming a mile away. Tom Holland sucks. He's the worst Spider-Man we've ever had. One stone. Lock it in. You don't even need to. I'm going to cue the music. Just stop listening right now. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but seriously, seriously, uh, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start this whole bandwagon. I'm gonna give it a gauntlet. It's as someone who grew up with all sorts of references of Spider-Man in many many different ways. Uh, this was by far the best Spider-Man movie. In fact, I will say that when the first Spider-Man movie came out, I watched it like I don't know seven times in the movie theater, and we're talking Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I was I was very happy with it, and it and it's purely because of the shock of value that there was a Spider-Man movie, and it was pretty decent. Yeah. Now there was a there was flaws. I mean, the fact that he like organically came out with Spider-Web, which was a terrible. <laughs> terrible subtext to puberty i guess is the the way people are looking at it but um but i mean story-wise green goblin which apparently 
uh, William Defoe's Green Goblin is going to be in. Uh, oh God, I'll believe it when I see it, Kevin. Yeah. At this point, until I see a trailer, I will reserve all judgment of rumors. Um, yeah. I really, really hope that the Daredevil rumor is true because if Daredevil's real, or they bring back Charlie Cox's Daredevil, then they better. Better bring back uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. They exactly. have to. That's they, all I want. If if I had to give up every other, if I had to give up the other Spider-Mans, uh, to, uh, Toby and Andrew and MJ and whatever, if I had to give up everybody for Kingpin, I would do it in a heartbeat. If I had to give up uh, uh, Nelson, if I had to give up, um, if I had to give up. Uh, uh, Dex, uh, the guy who played Bullseye. If I had to give, if I had to give up all the supporting cast, including the Punisher, just to get Daredevil and Kingpin in in the MCU, unfortunately, I would take it. Same. Because I wouldn't even give up Daredevil. <laughs> I would, yeah, I'd Wilson Fisk. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give this movie. A, uh, I'm going to give this movie a solid gauntlet uh, because. I, I, again, I so going back to my my Spider Man statement. The first movie, I the first ever Spider Man movie, I left very happy. I was I was just like, yes, this is a comic book film. Yes, I love it. It was awesome. The second one, the the sequel with Doc Ock, left me excited, like a, like just like cannot be contained. This is a this is awesome Marvel storytelling. But I had it with Spider Man films. Got that reaction until i saw homecoming same yeah that's why i'm also giving it a gauntlet yeah gauntlets big shiny gauntlets now ryan uh, i think this is going to be a big one here so let's try to get through this as fast as we can how many who are we adding to the mcu character encyclopedia oh god okay uh well so we not peter and aunt may because we already met them but i think ned leads we can start with him. Yeah, start with Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds. Welcome aboard, Ned. MJ. Just put MJ. <laughs> MJ, yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, Adrian Betty, Toomes, the Vulture. Adrian, yeah, Adrian Toomes, Betty Brandt. Okay, Liz, I'm Liz still Allen. On, still on Vulture. Uh, oh, no, that's not how you spell Vulture. Adrian Toomes. So I guess um, Allen was the mum's last name um mm-hmm. i don't even remember the mom's first name i'm sorry mom what was her first name uh the wait who the mom uh, liz's mother liz's mother oh her first name is it like diane or something i think it's yeah it's diane allen could be wrong liz allen i will look that up while we do the other names yeah all right so i got liz allen here yeah okay and... so you you got Liz Allen. Uh, did you get Betty Brant? No, thank you. Yeah, I forgot about Betty Brant, and she plays a much bigger role in uh, in parts uh, in the sequel there. Yeah, in the second one. Yeah. Hey, Betty Brant. Okay. Who else are we? Oh, uh, Shocker. Yep, Shocker. So, you got two Shockers. Got two Shockers. So we got Shocker, Herman Schultz. Yeah, and Jackson. Uh... Jackson Briggs. Shocker Jackson Briggs. At two or, no, it's not Jackson. It's Jackson. Um, oh, my God. Give me a second. Jackson something. Uh, While you're thinking of that, I'm going to add. The Jackson Bryce. Jackson, Jackson Bryce. Bryce. All right. 
Thank you. And we also got the Tinkerer, who I think is underrated. Yep, Tinkerer, underrated. And he didn't get caught, did he? He's still yep. up there. He's out there. Uh, we also got Mac Gargan, the Scorpion. Holy cow, this movie's full of people. Oh, we're not. We're barely halfway there at this point. Oh, gosh. All right, Scorpion. You have you have a character named Anne Marie Hogg, which is uh, the head of Department of uh, Damage Control. Oh wow, Anne Marie Hogg. Okay. You have Zen. Uh, you have sorry. You have Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis. That's a radio DJ here in Toronto. <laughs> that's a uh, that's the Prowler. That's uh that's played by Donald Glover. Oh, that's right. Okay. So hold on. Aaron Davis, the Prowler. Wait, he shouldn't be there. He should be under P for Prowler. There we go. Do, 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 do. Prowler, Aaron Davis. I'm sorry, listeners. I know this is riveting hearing us write down names, but it's important because we want this this book to be as sexy as possible. Yeah. Uh, all right. And accurate, as accurate as possible. As accurate as possible. Who else are we adding here? Do we have anybody else? I think that might did you get mac gargan i got mac gargan um oh did you did you want to put the the black tiger kid uh yeah he is a comic character so abraham something right yeah abraham abraham something i'm gonna actually write something oh abraham brown brown okay Cool. All right. That is a nice, chunky little addition <laughs> to the listener. Yeah. And nobody died, right? I don't think anybody's being buried in the Marvel Memorial Cemetery mm, today. No, Tombs has been captured. Yeah. So, good. Nice, casualty-free story. Yep. Spider-Man Homecoming. Wow, yeah. this. Um, I'm so glad this exists. Yep. <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, wow. Oh, oh, you forgot Cindy Moon, who's also a character. Cindy Moon. That's yeah. right. Does she spell that with a Y or an I? Uh, Y. Ooh. That's how the Valley Girls spell Cindy. Did you get Flash Thompson? Oh my God, I didn't get Flash Thompson. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> so many people. My ways. Flash there's like there's like 10 characters. <laughs> yeah, well, like, like you've said many times, and I... I agree with you so much the spider-man universe is its own like it's it's dense enough to be its own mcu which i think sony is cluing in on which is why we're getting these venoms and these morbius eyes um there's there's a lot to work with uh all right spider-man home coming we did it uh christine everhart did not show up in this movie unfortunately she's too busy taking over the galaxy somewhere else but that's cool we'll get to her we'll get to her uh, any final thoughts, true believer, before we we tune off and we, we turn the dial to another podcast? Because I'm from the 40s. That's what I think everything is, that everything has a dial. <laughs> uh, I will I will say that this, this is definitely one of the best uh, Marvel movies to date. Uh, and I will say that uh, this was a special partnership. Uh, and also, as someone who grew up with Spider-Man, seeing this was like just pure fan service and and once i saw the trailer for the sequel which we'll talk about when it when that when we get to that sequel 
Oh my God, there's even more gushing I got to do <laughs> with you. So good times. I think you said something beautiful right there, dude. You just said special partnership uh, and, and an unprecedented partnership. Like we never imagined that they would allow this to happen. But look what happens. Movie studios, are you paying attention? Listen to me. Look what happens when you play nice with each other. We get something that makes so many people happy. And you all got your money at the end of the day too. So let this be a trend, you know, play nice some more with each other. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you're willing to try the Nolan formula on superhero movies that wouldn't work with, I'd say let's try this partnership thing because clearly it was successful and it worked really well. Yeah, man. And I mean, look at uh, DC. They're they're already understanding that the multiverse is their strength and they're tapping into it too. So we're about to head into an era of multiverses and I'm excited. But well, we still have a far from home before we get to talk about that. So that has been it for Infinity Rewatch today, everybody. Thank you for web-slinging with us. Uh, Ryan actually is Spider-Man. Please don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, Dwayne Donald Jameson will be looking for pictures of you. He'll, he'll have a drone sent to your, your apartment taking photos. Uh, <laughs> we wouldn't want that. We, I respect your privacy, Ryan. Uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining me on this journey, by the way. All I can say in that response of revealing my identity like that is, what the? (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right, guys. This was Spider-Man Homecoming. This was Infinity Rewatch. Be sure to like, review, rate, subscribe, leave comments, send flowers, send everything. We, we need we need gifts. We thrive on gifts. Uh, You can also find Ryan where he twitches, right? You do all the twitch. Yeah, I am the uh, I am one of the hosts of Xbox Canada on Twitch, so you can find me there at twitch.tv forward slash Xbox Canada. And if you're one of the people, uh, many people playing Cyberpunk 2077 right now, so are we, and you can Twitch along with Ryan as he cyberpunks his way through Night City. Um, and that game is a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and YouTube at Andrew Fantasia and on Instagram as well, Andrew Fantasia, where I do Star Wars stuff and Marvel stuff and review HBO shows like His Dark Materials, which I'm watching right now, which is great. And everybody should watch it because it's a fun, underrated little show. Uh, but that has been the end of this episode of Infinity Rewatch. We came home just like Spider-Man. So to you, Ryan, and to all of you, listening, I bid you, please have a marvelous day.